From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 86. Uh, my name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Good morning. And hello, Perry. Hello, good evening. I'm, I, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, bit of misbehaviour that I specifically said, please, please be quiet in, in between uh, when I uh, say Classic Lenses podcast and hello to episode, hello and welcome. Uh, could we be quiet this week? Because every week, I think every week for the last few weeks now, um, something's gone wrong. It's something like hitting a mic or dropping a pen or whatever. And I'm guessing that's your fault, Johnny. Is that, is that right? Have I guessed correctly? It's quite possible, and you should know by now, if you specifically tell me not to do something, what do you think's going to happen, Simon? Really? <laughs> You're going to get this. <laughs> and, the, and that's that's just a, a prelude to the... It's to, a prelude, yes. Yeah, yes. To, uh, to an exciting feature that's going to be in the podcast later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I thought it was actually an appropriate intro yeah. sound effect. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Thanks, Barry. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get on with today's show, and we're going to go straight over to Hong Kong. Which uh, was, was there were a few. Th- I mean, we heard a few things about what you've been up to last week, but there was a bit of unfinished business there, wasn't there, Perry? Yep. 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 Uh, oh, by the way, the weather is beautiful here. It's hot, but the humidity is low, so I am having a good time. Um, yeah, the end of last episode, I was talking a little bit about the uh, photo walk that I went on with Mike Epstein, and I was kind of falling asleep because we were going for about two and a half hours at that point, and it was about midnight Hong Kong time, so I totally forgot to talk about cameras and lenses, which is kind of our raison d'etre. So, uh, Mike and I, when we went shooting, he had some cool stuff with him. And uh, there's a cool story behind the first thing that I saw. He, when I met up with him, he had a Zeiss Icon ZM hanging around his neck, uh, a black one. And I've been eyeing this camera for a little while. And the shop that I like to go to most in Hong Kong, Photopia, they had one for sale for a pretty good price that I was looking at. And then some bastard snatched it up within a day. And when I saw it hanging around Mike's neck, I was like, oh, Zeiss Icon ZM and a black one. And I noticed that there was a little sort of chip on the paint in the exact spot that the one from Photopia had. So I asked him, oh, is this the one that was listed listed there this week? And he said, yep. <laughs> and I was just thinking, you bastard, that's the one that I want. <laughs> <laughs> and that camera is so, so nice. Uh, I don't need another Leica M mount camera, but oh, what a beauty. Is it, is so, it, is it just like a, a, a Besser R of some description with a with no. no, 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 no. Uh, that's, that's almost an insult to the camera. Um, well, it is, but it, but it's, but it is, a, it's made by the same people. Though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There are similarities in the finish, uh, but it is, how do you describe the Zeiss Hawk on ZM? It's it's an M-mount camera, um, and I compare it to the Konica Hexar RF the most because they're both uh, aperture priority, and it is it has a really 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 nice viewfinder. Um, I think that's its big selling point. It, the it's big and bright enough that I can see the twenty eight millimeter frame lines with my glasses on, 
Wow. And uh, I mean, it just it, it's it's almost like they took they looked at a Leica and they thought, how can we make this better in every conceivable way? Mm-hmm. So the viewfinder is better. The base length is longer. Uh, it has the swing open back, so it's easier to load. And I mean, I, I, it's light compared to the Hexar RF and the Leicas. I mean, I, I like everything about it except for the placement of the AE lock button, which is just smack bang in the middle at the back for some reason. Yeah. So it's super nice. But he had a he had a bunch of Zeiss ZM lenses. Um, but he well, he has a bunch at home. But he only brought the Sonar with him. I think I can't remember uh, or the Biogon. He brought the Biogon with him. And the ones that he left at home, he said he left them at home because, unfortunately, they are silver. Uh, so, once again, I don't know if this is a Hong Kong thing, but the second listener I've met up with in a matter of weeks also agrees that silver lenses belong on silver cameras. <laughs> <laughs> and, not on, uh, and not on black ones. Uh, but the lens that he had mounted to his camera that he used pretty much all night. I don't think he changed lenses except to show me um, something else. Was the Nikkor 5cm f1.4 but in Nikon S mount uh, which is pretty much the same mount as the Contax RF mount. So he had this mounted to his Zeiss Icon ZM with one of those adapters made by Amadeo Muselli. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. <coughs> and so. we had... Yeah, and he's an Argentinian craftsman who I think lives in the U.S. now and sells Uh, these. Venezuelan, but close. Oh, okay. Uh, My bad. Um, But he, yeah, his adapters, Rob Jameson was asking in the podcast Facebook group or in Photography with Classic Lenses about adapters he could get for his Zeiss 51.5 Opton Sonar. And there are a lot of cheaper uh adapters out there for context rf mount but it's one of those fiddly mounts that if you really want to get the quality uh this is the way to go even though the adapters cost pretty much the same as the lenses yeah i i um i i have it as well and i think it's it's totally worth it it's it's worth it's it's like having another lens i mean it 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 feels like it feels like it's one of your lenses it's that because i mean it basically it basically makes those lenses seamlessly adaptable you know in a way that is highly unusual with most adapters um it's like it really is an extension of the lens itself so it's it is because i had a i had a cheap contacts rf to leica m adapter that i bought and it just doesn't work properly because, I mean, the thing with these lenses is the focusing mechanism is in the mount, right? So the adapter needs to basically do all the movement that the lens would do other than changing the aperture. And so if you skimp out on this adapter, and you're especially if you're using it on a rangefinder, it's just going to feel terrible to use. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I before I got the Amadeo adapter... I would only ever use my Nikon S and Contax RF lenses either natively on the bodies uh, with which they came or adapted to a Sony. Yeah, yeah. But with the Amadeo adapter, it, you know, in rangefinder couples, it feels nice to use. And it really is like having another, like an M-mount lens. 
Um, the, the interesting thing is he makes the adapters for both Nikon S and Contax RF. But when I was trying out adapters at the shop, I found that the Nikon S mount adapter was actually more accurate for, for both of them. So there, there's a little bit of variation. I mean, with any rangefinder, you have to kind of try them out to see which one is sort of calibrated with your own rangefinder yeah. uh, and the lens itself. There are, there are also two versions of the adapter. There's the one that kind of looks like a normal Contax Kiev or Nikon S mount. And so on those, I think you can mount the 50 millimeter, the longer lenses, and some of the yeah. wide angles on the outer bayonet, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's both an inner and an outer bayonet adapter. So yeah. it'll do both. And there's, yeah. a, there's another version, which is the one that I have, uh, that only works with a 50 millimeter lens but it has a focus tab at the bottom and it rotates the correct way. Also and known as the budget, <laughs> the budget <laughs> Amadeo adapter <laughs> because the, because I think it's like a hundred bucks less than the other one. Oh, is it cheaper? I, I don't remember. Yeah. I think I remember yeah, at the shop where it's yeah. actually, it's quite a bit cheaper actually, believe it or not. I, I, oh. I, I actually really want to get that one as well. I already, I have the inner outer, but I'd love to get like the, 50 millimeter dedicated adapter oh okay i i didn't know it's cheaper i think maybe at the shop i got them they were very similar priced but well, to me, this, yeah this makes, yeah sorry go yeah. on no i was gonna say i think also um uh the standard adapter might be a little bit cheaper than it was a few years ago i mean i got, I've had, I got mine quite a while ago and it was oh man it was pushing i want to say it was pushing three hundred dollars um, yeah, that's about and, right. Yeah, and I think they're a little bit less than that now. And I, I saw, I was looking at his, uh, well, he has them on eBay right now, which he, he never usually has anything on eBay. But he actually, I looked on eBay and he has both of them up there. And I want to say that the the version that you have, it was like 180 or something like that. So it's, I mean, which is significantly less than, you know, the version that I have um and i so i think they're a little less expensive now okay. than they were in the past also you know i also what he had up there which i talked to him about this ages and ages ago um he actually has the uh contacts to ltm adapter up there which he last time i talked to him he said he kind of dissuaded me from the thought of using that adapter, he said, no, it's, it's way more complex than the M adapter. And, you know, it's harder to make and, you know, you don't really want to do that. So he kind of dissuaded me from it, but he has them up there, um, which is pretty cool. So why would that be? Is it just cause he has to cut a screw I, rather than a bayonet? I, well, I think the, no, it, it, it sounded like it was the internals of the adapter itself. Um, just the way the rangefinder cam has to be coupled. Apparently, he he said it's like, if I recall correctly, he basically said it's not as robust, so therefore it's harder. It's probably like th everything is probably thinner or something. Well, that that would make sense because it's it's a it's a longer flange, isn't it? The, yeah. To the, uh, the yeah to the M mount, so therefore mm -hmm. everything's going to be that much slightly slimmer than the other so i suppose when you're dealing with something relatively small to start off with you know those an extra millimeter or so can make a big difference that's true because the base right. of this adapter is about two millimeters thick the 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 bit that 
um, how do you describe it? It's kind of like the the round bit that sits on the front of the camera. It's really thin. Yeah, yeah. So just to confirm, <laughs> I'm on eBay looking at Amadeo's uh, site. The uh, the standard Zeiss Context Rangefinder to oh no, this is the LTM. So the Context Rangefinder lens to LTM is two hundred and forty eight dollars. The Nikon S 50 millimeter to Nike to Leica M, which is the version Perry's talking about, is 195. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that wow. sounds right. He has, he has a Nikon F to S adapter also for 280. What? Um, and then he doesn't, this is interesting, he doesn't even have the old school uh, inner outer version listed on eBay that I have right now. But he does have a contacts slash Nikon S to Sony E mount listed also, which is one ninety five. So, so there you go. There are uh, there are some adapters that are similar to his that are just made from ripped out mounts from uh, Kiev cameras, right? Oh yes, because I've never tried any of those. I, I Carl's think favorite Ukrainian adapter. <laughs> <laughs> this is, is it. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. This is the adapter that Carl famously made. Oh, I guess we could only call it the knife video. <laughs> I'm not sure. If we, have we have we spoken about the knife video on the? I don't know if we have, but we, you know, I, I think, I, I think, I think, uh, Simon, this might be. Certainly, we can't get Carl in trouble by talking about the knife video at this point. Um, <laughs> And it's one of my certainly favorite Carl uh, memories. But yeah, he he um, he basically his adapter. He was out using it, like walking around in his garden, and in Carl fashion, um, it just basically fell apart while he was using it. And he dropped part of it, and then he couldn't find it. And he was on his hands and knees in the grass trying to find the other part of the adapter. I mean, it's classic Carl, right? So he finds the adapter. He figures out how to put it back together. And then, and then he he makes this video where he's got the adapter on his table, and he's got like this freaking you know six inch big Bowie knife, like the thing you gut people with, um, <laughs> out. And he's doing his Ukrainian accent apparently, and he's like, "You sold yeah, me shit adapter. Yeah. I'm going to come to Ukraine and kill you." And he's like, it's going on and on about this. <laughs> We have to try to find that. It's I'm sure it's buried deep, deep, deep in one of the chats somewhere, but it's absolutely classic. <laughs> but that 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 was made from uh he got that adapter. It basically, you know, cut from a Kiev uh you know, camera mount. It's just basically a cut out of a camera and then a bunch of stuff glued together and shimmed and all that, and it just put put together to you know to to work with uh M mount. Um, and they, but they have a tendency to, shall we say, not hold up so well. Yeah. <laughs> over over time. So well, yeah, I we had lo- long discussions about this and how he should just, you know, I was like, Carl, just just break down and get the good one, and you you'll just be done with it, you know. Yeah. So. I think I think uh, Carl, um, I think he, he actually entered into a discussion after um, having this problem with the of the. The, the optical block falling out yes. uh, onto the floor, probably as Jupiter 3, probably, something like that. Yeah. And uh, and it, it, it turns out that after he, he corresponded with the um, the maker, I think, is it Kablix? 
Koblix or some, something like that on uh, yeah, on something eBay. like that. And um, and it was it was made clear to him that <laughs> it wasn't so much of a feature that you could drop your lens, uh, but it, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, but it, it, it's something close to that, um, right? And in the it's it, because normally uh, there's a stopper. Uh, mm-hmm. on the on the lens that uh, I, I guess once you get so fu- so far out the, the rangefinder can't uh, connect with it so what's the point right. of uh, letting it go any, any further oh that that adapter is rangefinder coupled yes um, no, uh, no 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 it's it's no. it's not no it's it was it was for sony or possibly for Olympus. oh i thought it was actually coupled okay no no it, okay, it no, wasn't right. but the point the point being is though on a if it was if that part of the camera was still on the rangefinder camera then that the the is it a camera um the bit that uh, makes contact with the the lens it, that connects it, to the rangefinder could only go yeah. so far so uh-huh. the point being is what you wouldn't there's just no point in allowing the lens to extend further to get a, a, a better minimum focus if you like because the, the rangefinder camera oh, simply couldn't keep up with it um so yeah. the point is if you're adapting that to like a sony then that restraint goes away um, so, right. and I think his view was, well, let's have it carry on going. Then you can, you can go to like a point of, uh, having a, su- <laughs> a sub macro lens, um, except the bit where it doesn't have a stop at all. So it will unscrew out and just to confuse things more, I think it, I, c- I can't remember which way it, it turns now, but it's, uh, yeah, it goes that, the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, it's it's confusing the best. So that that was why it happened, and um, and from from that we then learned that that uh, it wasn't because it was badly made. It was just a decision that the maker had made to make it uh, more flexible, should we say? But it uh, could have done with carrying a, a warning uh, to say that this, uh-huh. this this could actually happen. <laughs> um, but just but just one one other thing on that is um, I've I've had three of these adapters. The first one that I bought um, was Fire. Attila from mflenses.com uh, fame and that was that was when I had one on uh, Micro Four Thirds and that was a real I say was I still got it it's but it's an absolutely excellent uh, adaptation of a Kiev um, adapter uh, going on to um, I guess it'll be a, a, an LTM to Micro Four Thirds adapter uh, bonded together uh, and the workmanship on that was was excellent and it cost me a you know, quite a bit of money. Certainly not as much as an Amadeo, but for for something that was um, ripped off a camera and glued to something else, it was quite expensive. Yeah, I think it was about yeah. about one hundred and thirty pounds, something like that. Wow! Um, but the quality of it was <clears throat> was was great. Um, but when when I switched to Sony, which wasn't that long after I actually bought that adapter, I was thinking. Do I want to spend another hundred and thirty pounds on an adapter, or should I mm-hmm. try and try one of these cheap ones from from Ukraine? And I got hold of one, and it and it did a job. It wasn't as good. There's no two ways about it. Uh, but it did a job, and but that that adapter actually packed in um, a few weeks ago. I actually sent it to somebody uh, in the post for. for oh, to, is that the use. one that fell apart on the twenty eight mil? Uh, yes, yes. Well, it didn't so much fall apart, but it it it, it was it got knocked out of alignment, and getting the thing put to put back together again because it was it's it's like it's sort of screwed together with pointed screws that hold another piece in. So it, it's not a, a particularly good way of actually fastening two bits of a of an adapter together. So if you knock it, you you're buggered basically, and uh, and that's what that's what happened. And uh, so I got a I got a replacement quite recently. 
and uh, it wasn't from Koblitsk, by the way. Not, I don't think the other one was either, for that matter. Um, and I'm, I've got to say, I'm not impressed with it at all, um, especially when I, I mounted... Uh, I've got an, an Orion 15 lens, which I really need to sell. Um, but I put it. I put that on, and the, and the adapter was basically upside down. And I, I think that's just completely <laughs> unforgivable. Um, oh, man. On, a, on an outer bayonet, on a... On a because all, all it was is just, like I say, you, you would undo these three screws and position it so it's the, the correct way up. And, yeah. and you're golden, aren't you? Yeah, so, uh, but no, the, the seller couldn't be bothered to do that. It was also one of these <laughs> where I got a, I asked for, well, it came with a Helios 103 as well. And uh, which, you know, I'm always happy to get a Helios 103. And I asked him, oh, send, send me a nice one, will you? Um, which, which was basically because I'm going to sell it. You know, so it offset the cost of the adapter. And it's, and it's got a bloody great big scratch right in the middle of the lens. I mean, <laughs> it does nothing for the for the image quality. You know, it'll take perfectly good pictures or whatever, but ugh, you know, when you when you when you when you try and like pull a fast one like that, say, you know, give me a nice <laughs> one so I can sell it as a profit, please. You know, it, it was uh, a, a little bit disappointing. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, one of the takeaways is the nice adapter, you buy it once, it saves you from buying a pile of terrible ones. Uh, <laughs> but, but the other thing is, you know, there is merit to getting something like the Amadeo because the Leica M mount is so adaptable to any other mount. Uh, so for someone like Rob Jameson who asked this question, you know, I know he has an M mount camera, so he can just stack adapters rather than buying a uh, Contax RF to Fuji adapter and then having to get other contacts RF adapters if he wants to use them on any other camera. Uh, and then if you are using a lens like the Nikkor uh, 51.4, the Nikon S-mount version plus the Amadeo adapter is still pretty much cheaper, or the same price at least, as the LTM version of that lens. Yeah. So you can get the same lens plus the adapter, which gives you more versatility, the only thing you lose is that close focus, but that, that's useless anyway. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. much on, on board with what you're saying there. I think that I would draw the distinction with, between how you're going to be using the lenses. And if you're just going to be using it on, on a Sony or a Fuji or, or whatever, and, and that's as far as it goes, then right. it's, it's, I think it's got, to, it's got to be questionable because ultimately you know, one of these cheaper adapters will do, do a job, assuming yeah. that the thing's been made properly, of course, which you don't know. But... Yeah, it, ultimately the cost is, is far far less. But if I was use if I was a you know a, a rangefinder user, I would I would jump on the Amadeo without any question simply because of that that uh, rangefinder compatibility just makes so yeah. much more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, if you're if you're a normal person who just uses one camera and adapts all your lenses to that, <laughs> uh, then then absolutely. But if you're abnormal like us. Right. Uh, then I think you never know when a Leica is going to appear in your future, right? <laughs> Got to be prepared. I mean, I I actually did buy mine uh, to to use on the Fuji originally because what I did is I have the Amadeo adapter and then I have the good uh, Yinon y yes Yinon um, M to Fuji helicoid, which is really nicely made. So those two things combined together you know i could use i could use my opton sonar like seamlessly 
on the mm-hmm. Fuji. And that was originally how I used it. But I, but I did specifically buy the Amadeo adapter because I thought, well, I'm just going to get the good one because when I do get an M mount camera someday, you know, I'll be able to, to use this lens then on directly on the camera. So that was kind of why I did buy it in the first place. Yeah. I was just going to say the, the Enon adapters are, are really, really good. Uh, yeah. But I've, I came, ac- I came across, uh, um, somebody selling some adapters which I thought were Yenon because I, I do a camera fair uh, every now and again. In fact, actually, I'm doing the camera fair, the Wolverhampton camera fair this weekend. Oh, on wow. Sunday. So come and say hello to me at uh, the awesome. Wolverhampton race course. Um, but anyway, um, there was a, a chap in there last time and um, who was selling these adapters. And uh, because somebody came along to me and said, "Oh, have you seen this?" And I looked at it and thought, oh, "It's a Yenon." And uh, and then they said, oh, "I got it for five pounds or ten pounds or something like that." And I thought, "Really? That's that's that's, <laughs> that's fantastic! What's going on there?" And then I had a I had a closer look at it and I, and I thought, hmm, it "Doesn't seem to be quite as good as the ones I've seen before." And then I looked at the actual box that it was, which is pretty much the same because the Yenons I've well, I think they've become in a few different types of boxes, but. This particular one, it looked like it said Yenon uh, in the in the same font, and it was all like a white box with silver writing. Um, except it had a spelling mistake in it. Except it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, so uh, yeah. It, I can't remember what it was, but it, it, let's say Yenon um, is the correct one. I think it was more like Yenom, you know, with an M instead of an N at the end. It was something daft. Uh, just nice. like that, and, uh, and you could you could see so so these these uh, Yinon in China are being ripped off by oh yeah in there, China. There are a lot of Chinese knockoffs of the Yinon, but having said that, I'm pretty sure that the Yinon M to Sony helicoid adapter is a ripoff of the Voigtlander one. Oh yeah, it's a direct it's a direct copy. Yeah, it's a direct copy of the Voigtlander VME, and that, like, and that straight well, up. <laughs> and that wouldn't surprise me at all because I know that the the M42 to M42 adapter, yeah. which they do. That's, yeah, that's as near as damn it identical to the original Pentax one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's like why mess with a good thing, you know? I mean, just it, but the the difference is they actually make it like quality wise. Yes. yes. Nearly, yeah, it is a good I mean, like ninety eight percent as good as the original, right? Whereas the yeah. knockoffs are like just knockoffs, right? But at least yeah. you know, it's like they they try. Yeah, they actually really do make them well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really it's really smooth. I remember when I I have the Yenon uh, Leica M to Sony helicoid adapter, and I tried it and the Voigtlander side by side, and they felt the same. So I just bought the cheaper one. Yeah, yeah. right. I was just wish yeah. I just wish one of these companies when they make these M forty two helicoids can have the imagination to reverse the the thread so they focus in the right direction because they all yeah, just copy that- the original Pentax one, which goes the wrong way, of course. Oh, uh, just just don't think about it. Just <laughs> just just turn your mind off. It'll be okay. <laughs> well, 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 you know when I mentioned that I think it was last week when I was talking about the that forty mil uh, Ultron, which is now for sale, by the way. Um, oh. and uh, and and I was using it with the close up lens, and I and and I was I just couldn't understand <laughs> why I was I, I put the, the the lens on and then I went out and to to get closer and I couldn't get closer and it was because I was turning the focus ring the opposite way so I was, <laughs> I, was, I was taking it to infinity with a close up ring. Um, uh, but wouldn't it, you notice that? Well, because they won't go further. Well, well, they, they would, yeah. Well, well, clearly I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't entirely notice it. No. Um, but the the point being is, uh, I I took that lens to me uh, to the 
Six Towns Darkroom that, that evening or the following evening, just to show it off to one of the guys that was there that, that's interested in Nikon. And uh, I lent it to one of the other chaps who uh, who, who, who will remain uh, nameless, Josh, who um, <laughs> who uh, did exactly the same thing as I did, made exactly the same mistake. So the thing, it's 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 all right saying, well, you just get used to it or whatever. But if you actually if you're using Nikon or Pentax or uh, any one of those makes that focus in the other direction, you just get used to it, and that's fine. But if you people like us that flip around from one lens to another all the time that yeah. muscle that muscle memory it, it's 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 not it's also good it's okay if it's if you've got static objects but if you're trying to focus quickly then you put your flip you put one of those lenses on that goes in the opposite direction and you're all over the place and you've got a good chance of missing your shot as a result remind yeah, me to stay home when you come over to the u.s simon and you're driving around in your rental car because <laughs> you will be accidentally on the other side of the road the whole time um well <laughs> i so that's my analogy because i think it's just you have to if you think about it it messes you up if you just don't think about it if you just turn your brain off no well that's that's it'll where, work. that's where that's where the problem is and um and uh, <laughs> Oh dear. I mean, I have no problem turning my brain off. It's pretty much shut down all the time. So Simon's you know. brain is always on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I switched my brain off when I was on 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 holiday on the island of Madeira about ten years ago, and I <laughs> was going up this road, and I realised I needed to turn around. And it's if anybody's ever been to Madeira, a lot of the roads out in the the countryside of Madeira are, are narrow and twisty, and getting somewhere where you, where you can actually turn the car around in the opposite direction is is not so easy and uh and i wanted to uh, there was a car behind me and i wanted to build up some distance between myself and this car so i put my foot down a bit and zipped up the road and eventually i found this place where i knew that i could get the car turned around in safety and um which i did and i was thinking yeah i'm a bit of a hero there and then i, I, I then drove back down the road on the wrong side of the road and i i i hit a car head on oh, coming around oh. the corner so it's a real problem folks oh, <laughs> oh. What, what was it nobody was hurt by the way uh, it was not a it was not a high speed collision or anything like that but um but yeah i i, I do have a bit of a problem with that kind of thing wow I, I i'm trying to think now since we're talking about carl stories didn't he have a didn't he have a story once about being in a rental car and he couldn't get it? Uh, he was, I'm trying to remember the whole story, but basically he couldn't get it into gear or something like that. And he was on this cliff. No. <laughs> and thought he was going to roll back <laughs> off the cliff. <laughs> the same sort of thing. I, well, and, and I, you know, I need to fess up too. I mean, you know, when I was, <laughs> I almost got killed in Ireland. I not because I was driving on the wrong side of the road, but because I was I was taking photos in a you know in a field in Sligo somewhere, and I went to 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 walk back across the road, um, and 
I came within inches of getting killed by an oncoming car because it was, you know, I heard the car coming and I'm assuming the car over my shoulder is on the opposite side of the road, yeah. <laughs> not not mm-hmm. an inch from my head. You know what I mean? So I, like I felt it whooshing past me as I was like backing up to, towards the road to take a picture. So, uh, yeah, that's it is dangerous. It's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. When, when I was in Canada, uh, I didn't drive on the wrong side of the lane. But it took me a long time to figure out uh, how to signal properly in the right direction because the the signal oh. lever went in the bro- in the opposite direction as it does in Hong Kong. And then the, the first time I tried to fill up the tank, uh, because the 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 gas uh, cover is on the wrong side of the car, I pulled up to the wrong side of the gas station, and I I like parked next to. I don't know what it's called, but the, you know, the pump, right? And I came out and the pump was on the other side of the car and I was too proud or lazy to move the car. So I, I went around and I grabbed the gas pump and the, the, because the nozzle and the, what's it called? I can't speak English today. The tube, uh, the, the, the tube was long enough that I could sort of wrap it around the car and fill up from the other side. <laughs> So yeah, it's totally a thing. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's no, normally that's like professional filling up at a it's a fuel station. You know, where because you can just show the world you don't have to queue up on one side. But if that petrol station was completely empty, which is why I'm imagining the petrol or well, the gas station, whatever. Yeah, it was, it was empty. <laughs> yeah, then that, that would look a bit odd. <laughs> the guy, there was one guy working there, and he was inside the shop wearing a wife beater, just kind of looking at me doing this the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and, never came out <laughs> but but sorry on the back on topic on the the subject of adapters um i have started uh buying adapters when I, when i get a new lens in a new lens mount that i don't have an adapter for i've started just getting an adapter straight to leica m uh because then i can just stack the adapters onto a leica to fuji adapter or like a sony adapter uh, or if I want to, for whatever reason, use it on that tech art autofocus thing, it'll just go right on. Um, and it saves me from having three times as many adapters, too, as long as they're well made. Because you don't want you don't want to stack poorly made adapters. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say that's that's a that's a really good point. And but even even if you you, you say well made, I mean, you can you can still have told. Extra tolerances when you work in adapt to adapt to rather than adapt to something that a, a native mount, and yeah. I, I came across this when I did that. We talked about it the other week, or or may have talked about it on the large format photography podcast, where I mounted a. The idea was to mount a, a Hasselblad to a large format camera uh, to do some extreme macro, but to get my exposures uh, because it was. We didn't have a ruler, so we couldn't actually work out what the extension was or anything like that. Um, I mounted my Sony uh, to the Hasselblad adapter, um, so effectively used the a full frame as a almost like a spot meter, um, and I and it worked as far as I can tell. Uh, I haven't looked at the photos yet, other than uh, just developed them. Um, but one thing that I noticed was I was doing this in a very bright place uh, when I was doing it at home, at least anyway. When I first tried it out. And I took some pictures of some tiny flowers and things like that. And I was just about to take the shot. And 
I mean, the whole way of actually doing this, you actually set the, um, I would set the Sony on uh, in bulb, if you like, or on a long, or say a 10 second uh, exposure. And I would use the shutter on the large format part of the camera to act as the shutter. And so when I when I looked through, I I realised oh I hadn't actually opened the shutter, but I I could actually see flare in the shot when the shutter was closed. And I think well how how can this be? It's just looking into a black box. And then I sort of move. I think oh I've got a hole in my the bellows of the large format camera and whatever. And just by you know, move my hand where the where the sun was coming, I actually identified that there was a, a gap between um, the Sinar. Uh, adapter to Hasselblad and my adapter uh, I was actually using three adapters actually but uh, but between the the Sinar adapter and the the KNF uh, adapter there was there was a light leak um, so what? in those eyes, I haven't to just put in a put a cloth over it just to just to stop that light light coming in was that because you had a Hasselblad on one side of the stack yeah. adapters and a large format camera on the other, and the weight was just dragging the adapters down? Uh, in that case, no, uh, because in in that case, that was with the Sony. Um, okay. and, I, and but I I I don't I didn't actually check to see if if that problem was occurring just with the Hasselblad on there or not. It could have been, but it, uh, yeah. It's and, and it's it's that uh, difference between you know the the machine in between two two adapters is you've just you just do have that potential for trouble and therefore yeah. you know if and if you're not shooting in bright light it wouldn't have mattered it wouldn't have mattered mm -hmm. in the slightest um, but it, you know you you can get uh, if you've got that light leak then you're gonna you're gonna lose some contrast or you're gonna have some flare coming in that just doesn't belong so you just got to be a little bit careful. Yeah, and that that's fair. Plus, with stacking adapters, when it's on a digital camera, for me, I I don't care if it goes past infinity, uh, but sometimes you get the tolerances yeah. uh, just line up so that it doesn't quite hit infinity, and that's really annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. All right, so. Uh, other than the adapters, uh, the other thing that Mike had with him on our little meetup, because we shot for a couple of hours, and at about uh, at one point he he turned to me and said, "Perry, I have to go soon because my wife is expecting me home at eight p.m." So I was like, "Okay, cool." We looked at our watches; it was nine. <laughs> so so, so uh, we went to we went to a pub. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be burnt or scolded, yeah. <laughs> Shout outs to Mike's wife for her patience. Uh, and we went and sat down, and he showed me the other camera in his bag, which was something that he picked up. I don't remember where, but he got a full set. It's a camera that I've never played with before, so it was really fun to check it out. The Agfa Ambi Select, uh, which is a rangefinder, and it has. The, I think the shutter is a leaf shutter that sits behind the lens. And it came with three lenses, a 35 millimeter, a 50 millimeter, uh, and I think a 90 millimeter. And he only he only had the 50 with him, I think. That camera is super nice. Have you guys ever tried it? Um, Go on, Johnny. I, I, I was going to say I haven't, but Mike Ackman is a big uh, fan of this camera. Yeah, a lot of these uh, 
a lot of these sort of obscure older rangefinders I find fun to use, but not super appealing because they don't have some of the polish of the nicer ones. But this thing is great. The viewfinder is really, really nice. Uh, I think it was parallax corrected. The advanced lever felt really good. And it was just a, a wonderfully machined uh, camera. And, you know, yeah. Agfa made some really good stuff back in the day. But this, yeah. this I think, is nicer than the Agfa cameras that I have by, yeah. by quite some stretch. I've, I think, if I remember right, was, I've, I've read up on this one relatively recently because I've actually got um, an Agfa color uh, tel, telinear. If I'm if I'm saying that right, yeah, but it's the it's the ninety millimeter f four uh, yeah. lens that you've uh, you just just mentioned there. I've got it in front of me because it's currently on sale on my uh, eBay shop. Um, but uh, <laughs> apart from being in mint condition with no fungus or haze or anything for that matter, uh, <laughs> um, it's it's just it's just a really really nice lens. Yeah, you know, the actual the way it's 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 put together, it's it, it's nicely well damped and and so on and so on. But when I was reading up on the on the system, it's my understanding it was like Agfa's last throw of the dice to to compete in the in the same market as as, as Leica and contacts so mm. uh, and I think I have actually handled one of these and they, yeah I agree they're, they're beautiful cameras the results are really nice too the lenses are good yeah. like he showed me some of his pictures that he shot with it and then printed in the dark room and they are beautiful nice very nice yeah, yeah. I'm just, so I'm, I'm just yeah. I'm just putting the lens back into its keeper, uh, which is also in excellent condition. There you go. There's some sound effects there, and if you, uh, <laughs> if you go to the uh, links at the end of the show, you can find my. In fact, I'll put a link to the actual <laughs> um, lens that I'm actually selling there with some with some lovely pictures of the lens as well. So uh, please continue. <laughs> oh man so simon I, I i'm like how badly does he want to sell that lens <laughs> i haven't well, the th i think the problem is is trying you know trying to put it onto a camera that's not a, a, an agfa and, and that's really where the problem is and, yeah uh, there, are, there are people out there that have got the skills can, to to do these things i'm not one of them yeah the adapters are i don't even know if they exist and the cameras are hard to come by anyway right yeah so shout outs to mike uh once again because that was good fun <laughs> we've been chatting uh quite a bit afterwards because he he told me about a dark room that he prints in a lot uh in hong kong and recently he's been having some serious pentax gas and i think he wants a spotmatic uh a black one real bad because he just picked up an oh, eight wow. element an eight element uh 51.4 super takumar uh, but, but then he sent me a picture of his camera shelf and said, uh, I, I've got way too many cameras. My, my wife won't tolerate uh, anymore because they won't fit on the, the shelf. And I was sitting next to my girlfriend when he sent me this picture. So I showed it to her and she took a look at it. And, and her response was, oh, that's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was about it was about a quarter of the size of uh one of my shelves so and it made it made him feel a little bit better about himself wow so other than other than my meetup with mike uh two other things real quick I, I did pick up two new cameras uh i don't think i've picked up anything else i don't know um but I, i've had very different emotional responses to these two cameras 
so the first one, which I guess we'll talk about, is the Horizon 202. <laughs> uh, which, Simon, of course, you know a lot about. Someone I, listed I one. I think its correct yeah. name is The Awesome Horizon 202. <laughs> <laughs> the Awesome Horizon 202. Yeah, I, the, there was a guy selling it locally. It was in really good shape. It came with uh, no filters, unfortunately, but an original Zenit case. Uh, the signed uh, documentation, um, plus an English manual, which I think is relatively hard to come by. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loaded a roll of film into it, which wasn't as painful as I thought. Uh, you know, it might have been, it might have been the circumstances because I took it out to the seaside to go shooting uh, yesterday. And before I went shooting with it, my girlfriend and I, we went kayaking. Um, and we, we kind of fell into the ocean uh, un unintentionally and then had to, <laughs> had to do some recovery work afterwards of, of all the things on us, including all of our clothing that was in the ocean when it wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> so our, our trip got cut short and uh, I didn't really get to shoot with the thing. But... <sighs> I don't know, man. I wish it could focus because the one thing it's got going over the X-Pan is the lens is faster, but then it's fixed at infinity. So part of me is like, oh, what's the point of shooting at 2.8 with this thing? Because I don't shoot landscapes and it's just going to be anything that's close up is going to be out of focus. And then the thing is made of plastic and it kind of feels like a toy. And I I, I can see the, the, the appeal, though, but there's only one photograph I want to take with this. The only photograph I want to shoot with the Horizon 202 is uh, a photo of someone like running after a bus where they are running at the same speed and the same direction as the lens swinging. Because I think that would look crazy cool. But other than that, I, I just pick it up and think, oh, I would rather use my X-Pan. <sighs> it's like, where do we start with this? <laughs> <clears throat> um, right, fir first one, um, back focusing. You don't have to take bokeh shots all the time. I, I don't want bokeh, man. I, I want stuff to be in focus because I, I like pano shots where I've got a subject that's relatively close and then composing the frame in sort of three sections. But I was looking on Flickr at pictures of the horizon and there are a lot of pictures that are sort of panos of a landscape with uh, a person or something in the foreground and they're just out of focus. I guess, well, I think the first thing is there, it's, it's obviously going to be dependent on light conditions. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was all the shots I've taken have all been on bright days. So, in fact, most of the time I've been struggling to get it under f sixteen uh, when because I was using four hundred film at the time. So, I think that's that's going to be the key thing. You need to use use a faster film if that's going to be the case because you know your, your hyperfocal distance on a twenty eight mil lens is pretty generous. So, yeah, yeah, stop stop it. I, I'm just I'm just going to a twenty eight mil lens in front of me now, and I'm just looking at the 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 depth of field scale for say f8 and f8 pretty much i would say anything over uh say about 1.8 meters or so at f8 is going to be in focus um i'm sure it's yeah i had it like i say i was shooting f16 so virtually everything was in focus for me so mm -hmm. i've just not come across that as being a, a handicap um now then there were, there were several other things you said 
that were incorrect. Um, I'm just trying to think, <laughs> think, think back. Um, I think one of, one, of the, one of the things you didn't mention um, is the fact that, you know, it's cheap and it's plastic. And I think that's, that's almost certainly one of the issues you've got with the camera. But no, 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 hold on. I really like the Bessa R and it's plastic, right? I specifically remember you hated the Bessa L because it was plastic, though. It got, it's got bits of metal in it, though, hasn't it? I mean, the, the Horizon is just is just complete plastic. That's it. That's all there is to it. And a bit of glass. Wait, does that make it better? No, I'm just I'm just saying it's, <laughs> it's just your, uh, yeah. you know, your, your viewpoint is, is, is sometimes skewed, shall we say, on, uh, on, on equipment. Yeah, fair. That's fair. I mean, the plasticiness... Um, you know what? I, I don't even think it's the plastic that I mind because I've got quite a few plasticky cameras. It's it's when you hold it because you have to hold it in a really weird way. Um, I feel like I'm eating a sandwich when I'm holding the camera. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Horizon two, 200 now nicknamed the ham sandwich. And I didn't even have any ketchup with me. <laughs> no, no, no! Never catch up on a ham sandwich, Barry. Okay. All right, there's a there's a there's a big piece that appears to be missing out of this as well. And and have you seen a photograph you've taken with it yet? Uh, no, because I fell into the ocean. So fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I, I I will try <laughs> shooting with it. Uh, I will try shooting with it on a day that I do not have a risk of falling into the ocean because that definitely soured my mood. That's it. And, and do it. <laughs> it'll, it'll do that. And do it. Do it in good light, so you, at least you can yeah. you can stop you can stop it down or use a faster film or or something like that. Because I've I've there was a little bit of novelty factor when I when I used it for the first time, uh, which is just just interesting in 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 itself. But as soon as I actually got the photographs back, even some of the really mundane photos, I'm thinking I've got to take a picture of something. I'll take a picture of that. That kind huh. of stuff. There's just something about the images that they're thinking. Oh, that looks really good. I, I look back at it now and I think, well, it's it's just a bit odd, but it, it looks interesting because the the distortion that comes comes with that lens. Uh -huh. So I I think you're going to be you're going to be quite surprised when you actually see the results because they just it's just not um, it's just not you just don't get the same kind of results as you would do with an X pan. It is not yeah. a replacement for an X pan. It's a no 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 not at together. all. That that crazy distortion and curviness that you get. Um, I think if I stick with this camera, which which is questionable, um, and figure out how to make the most of its curviness, um, then then yeah, I think it'll be a, it's a really cool creative tool because fair enough, it does things that no other camera I have can do. And I gotta say that the mechanism for uh, doing the shutter speeds is pretty genius because it really only has two shutter speeds, but then it just changes the size of the slit uh, to adjust the sort of relative exposure time and i think that's yeah. a brilliant piece of design although did they copy that from the wide lux almost certainly and, and just just actually i think we just need to clarify that uh because most most cameras or, well many many cameras with the focal plane shutter effectively use the same shutter speed and it's just the slit as you just said there what you right. what you're saying about the two speeds is the is the swing of the of the lens as it goes yes. through its arc you know is there, yeah. that, that's what you're talking about with the two speeds there yeah, so it has, what, eight different shutter speeds that you can pick, yeah. uh, but the swing only moves at two different speeds. And so between the fast and slow speed, you adjust the, uh, it, it adjusts the shutter speed by changing the size of the slit, which is super yeah. cool. You know, the yeah. wide box only has, I think, what, three or four speeds. So there oh, you go. It's better than a wide. Superior, then. 
Yeah. <laughs> I Perry, I think you need to you need to you need to keep it and learn how to make the most of its inherent uh what what should we call it? Not flaws, but it's it's sort of inherent um characteristics characteristics and distortions it's like a it's like a tw- it's like a 28 millimeter lens it inherently to really pull it off you have to like embrace the distortions you know what i mean uh-huh. yeah it, it is i mean you know I, i'm not all down on it it's a really cool camera um and it's really unique because like i said there, it can do things that no other camera can do um and i just i really want to see what a picture looks like when there's someone moving across the frame yeah. At the same yeah. speed that the lens is swinging. See, for because, that alone, you need to you need to keep it and just do that with it. Yeah, it's like panning without moving. Yeah. That's it. So you, the, everything in the background is going to be static, and mm-hmm. you're just going to have this p- somehow panning a person yeah. going across a static landscape. Or, or if, they, if yeah, you're panning against the direction of the movement. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Well, yeah. that, well, that's that was what I did with that seagull. Yeah. Which I was, that wasn't actually what I was trying to do. I was trying to do exactly what Perry did, uh, was tra- wants to do, but I, I just got the direction of the, 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 how, the how the camera swings completely wrong. Because <laughs> theoretically, if the person is moving at the same speed as the camera swing, you'll get them moving across the entire frame, but they'll also be relatively sharp all the way through, right? <laughs> and I have just, I just have no idea what that's going to look like, and I think that's cool. Okay, and, 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 <laughs> If while the camera is swinging, you turn the camera the opposite direction, uh huh. There's that too. That's like, pro, but then they that's, ha- that's yeah. pro level now, isn't it? Well, that's the that's the Jeff Bridges <laughs> move. Yeah, exactly. He, tur- he turns the camera during the exposure to get those two images on the right and left. Oh, and if you flip it upside down and do it, then you could there get the person. There you go. Run- you could get the person running at themselves. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay. There you cool, go. Cool. See, you have to keep it. I have ideas now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, um, way back when I first got the X-Pan, my main worry with it was that it was going to feel gimmicky. Uh, I I think that concern is also present with this camera, but it's cool. Johnny, are you any any closer to getting more? Oh, screw you, Simon. Uh, if I don't like this good one, I know if I don't like this one, I'll send it to you. <laughs> all right. No, in all seriousness, Vlad has been trying to hook me up with one of these for like three years. He's like, Johnny, I'm going to, do you want to get a horizon? I can get your horizon. <laughs> so I need to just get one from Vlad. Cause he can like, next time he has a, you know, shipping container full of cameras sent over from Ukraine, he can just have a little spot in there for another horizon. So he's probably got six of them. I mean, I, I he's got one that he shoots with. So I, I just I just got to bug him about it, and I'm sure he can get one for me. And, and sorry, can we we have to. Can we talk about the bubble in the viewfinder, Simon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that bubble. It. I mean, it's super useful. So so there's a bubble level on the top of the camera, and then a mirror that reflects it, so you can see it at all times in the viewfinder. It it never when I think I have the camera straight, the bubble always tells me I'm wrong. And when I shift the camera to look straight, uh, so that the bubble looks straight, the camera always feels tilted to me. Um, I mean, not that that's a problem. I, I trust the bubble more than I trust my own perception of like horizontal. 
but I feel like I'm playing some kind of weird video game while eating a sandwich holding this thing because you turn it one way, the bubble moves. You know, you tilt it, the bubble moves. You turn it one way, the bubble moves the other way. I haven't quite figured out which way moves the bubble in which direction. <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 share, I share that feeling too. It's, it's really, really odd. And yeah, you... I'm I'm usually good at getting a getting a, a, a level or horizon on on a photograph, but it just keep, yeah I'm I'm used to it telling me no you're wrong, um, but who knows yeah the bubble the bubble might not be telling the truth. I have girlfriends for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so you, you, we should do some test shots where we trust the bubble and then trust ourselves. Trust the bubble. Yeah. The bubble. Yeah. yeah. You guys should do uh, a Horizon 202 photo book and it will be called Chasing the Bubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the ro- I've got a, a roll in front of me now um, and you'll be glad to hear that it's uh, it's a it's fresh film. Um, oh, actually, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, okay, so it only expired last year. So, that's fresh enough. That's fresh. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fresh enough. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at least I think it expired last year. It, it, everything's in Russian, um, and it's uh, Oto One Hundred. Um, what's it called? Uh, Astrum uh, film um, uh, from uh, Eric uh, Eric Sluice. Thank you very much, Eric. Um, right. And uh, actually, that's a point. Uh, M from Emulsif is, is shooting a role of this at the moment in his in his F six, and it's the strangest film. It's it's the thinnest film you can just imagine. It's as if like they've painted the emulsion onto graphene. It's it's just astonishingly thin, and um, so I'm 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 having to psych myself up to actually getting this onto a uh, onto a reel and also work out what I'm going to do with this as well. But um, I'm looking forward to giving it a go because it was I think it's actually ag for um, it's avia something film. I think it's aviation um, film. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it could be some, on for some interesting shots. But I do know that some of the shots I took uh, with it, I, I definitely try to level level it up. So be interesting to see what those shots are actually, if, how, how they're mm-hmm. like, because some of them I wasn't really trusting it. So uh, yeah, later on this week, we'll, we will have some data to talk about. Sweet. Yeah, and as long as you didn't store the film in your car on a hot day, I think it was fine. Yeah, I'm sure. It, well, it's, it's, it's been in uh, Eric's vault and we we know that that's that's certainly one of the most secure and uh, best best places to keep anything. Um, certainly in Eric's house, anyway. If uh, uh, the story that uh, Johnny tells about the camera that uh, he had off Eric, so uh, whereas the uh, the film is, is is certainly treasured over there. Yeah, uh, I have a roll of uh, Ultramax in mind, so I, I'll try to get around shooting it. Sorry, I was listening to Cool and the Gang. um so the other uh moving on from the horizon uh the other camera that i picked up this this one's a little bit weird for me because it's it's a camera that i've wanted to try for a long time but i've never picked up because it, it 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 is everything that i don't like in a camera um that's why i haven't picked it up but the pictures i've seen from it look amazing uh, so I'm kind of surprised by my own emotional response to it. So the thing, I, the other thing I picked up for a really good deal here locally is a Pentax 6.7, uh, the the early 6x7 version. 
with a super multi-coded Takumar 105 2.4 because that is the only lens that I've been interested uh, in shooting on this format and with this film, uh, with this camera. It's the only, it's my first six by seven camera. And the reason I didn't pick it up is because I like small cameras. And this thing is the size of like a small country. Um, (laughs) I like light cameras and this thing weighs a ton. Although I got to say the handling, it doesn't feel as heavy as it looks because of, the fact that yeah. it's basically a giant spotmatic and not like a Hasselblad. Yeah. Uh, and I like quiet cameras and this thing is loud, which we will find out very, very shortly. Uh, but after I got it, I picked it up with the prism and the waist level finder and I put a roll of Cinestill through it that night. And number one, I really enjoy shooting with it because the viewfinder is beautiful. Uh, but number two, my gosh, the results are incredible. You know, I've got six by nine cameras, and this looks way better. Uh, to me, it looks better than a Plabo Makino or Mamiya 7 results. There's just a pop to this lens that looks almost large formatty, and I, I, my mind is blown. I can't wait to shoot this thing with black and white film. And I've literally, for a couple of days this week, I've been carrying it in my day bag, uh, where I would normally carry a Leica CL as my light carry around bag. I've had a Pentax 6.7 in there. Um, I haven't really had a chance to shoot because I've been busy, but man, I can't wait. This thing is amazing. Yeah. And, um, so you have the waist level finder on it, you said too, right? I do have the waist level finder on it. Although I made the mistake of trying to shoot vert- <laughs> vertically with the waist level <laughs> finder. <laughs> so I very quickly had to switch back to the prism, but it's gorgeous. I mean, the thing's huge. Yeah. And it, it's it's a lot. That camera's a lot lighter without the big honking prism on it. Oh, it's so much smaller. The the yeah. prism finder weighs the same as one of my Leicas. It's insane. Yeah, and it's it's a lot brighter too. I mean, those old yes. prisms are not particularly bright. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, this, go on, sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say this lens is legendary, and we, you know we were discussing earlier the combination of this lens on oh, this yeah. format has just a particular pop to it that is spectacular yeah yeah it's it is a special lens and uh and those photos that you shared they 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 certainly have that pop to them and uh i remember seeing some photos that were shared by uh bill manning who does the studio studio c41 um podcast and he shared a few uh shots taken with that combination and i think they were like wedding shots if i remember correctly and my word the, you know the, the the subject matter just just you know just jumped off the page oh, it was yeah. it was absolutely stunning i mean we talk about you know certain zeiss lenses doing this well wow that uh that 105 2.4 really does the same too i mean it's got to be something about the combination of format and lens yeah, uh, yeah. if you I, I think if you put this thing on a speed booster and slapped it on a sony you wouldn't get the same look right um but at the same time, there are other lenses for this camera and other lenses for 6x9 where you don't get the look either. Right. But then right. pretty much every large format camera does have that look. Yeah. It, I think this is a must-discuss must lens with Jason Lane because yeah. there's – on the surface of it, I mean, there are other lenses probably with a similar formula. But there is – I mean – you can see it. It's there. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say. There's not another lens for that system that has pop like that. Mm-hmm. So were, you, were, you, were you shooting wide open? 
when you're doing those shots? Uh, yeah, mostly. Right, right. Because, I mean, that is something, one of, is one of the things about it is, you know, for a medium format lens or a 6 by 9 uh, lens, uh, you know, f2.4 is very wide. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I was shooting wide open because it was nighttime and I mostly needed the speed. Uh, but the shots from this lens at any aperture have the look. Right. That's that. And see, that's the thing is it's not, I don't think it's solely the fact that it was wide open. There's something about that lens because it does that at other apertures too. Right. So, yeah. Well, yeah, well, <clears throat> we have, we have talked, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And uh, when, if you're trying to get that, generally speaking, if you're talking on full frame if, and you're, you're trying to get that pop, it's not a simple matter of just shooting wide open. It's about having your subject uh, completely in focus and then everything immediately behind it or in front of it for that matter to be out of focus. And it strikes me at 105mm and f2.4, then that's going to fit a person into that very nicely um, if that person's at the right distance away from the camera. Yeah. Yeah. And I found it not too difficult to focus even shooting on the street with this thing. Because with the magnifier, I can just about see the full frame, uh, yeah. and, and you know the edges don't get cut off, and it just uh, the the with the waist level finder, the the 3Dness of the image pops out when you're when you're focusing and looking through the screen too. Plus, Pentax makes really good focusing screens, and this one has the nice matte one that doesn't have the stupid split split prism in the middle. Yeah. I, I like the split prisms personally, but yeah, each, each to our own, really. I, I like them too, but I just, they're not accurate. What? <laughs> no, yeah. when I use the split prisms, every time I focus and it looks like my subject is perfectly in focus, even when I rack back and forth, uh, it, it turns out, it comes out not in focus. And this is not one specific camera. It's It happens on my Mamiya 645, happens on my Contax S2, uh, pretty much any camera I have with a split prism, if I'm trying to shoot wide open for a subject that isn't, you know, super close where you can really see every little uh, detail in the depth of field, it, it, it's always off for me. Yeah. That um, there's that Gary Winogrand video clip. Oh yeah. Where he famously talks about that. Uh, and I think he's totally right. Cause it's essentially, it's essentially it's essentially a rangefinder device, <laughs> really, with when a you, zero base length, though. Yeah, exactly. So, because that's that's my experience with uh, split prisms as well. I yeah, yeah. I know we they look about, more accurate when you're using them, but the right. final result is exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean that could just be my eyes or our eyes, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I I've heard that same. Uh, complaint from too many people at this point <laughs> you know what i mean it's uh yeah so should we do our special feature <laughs> as 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 trailered at the at the top of the show yeah we should can we uh i have to i realized i have to dig out one more camera for this test so Ooh, okay. can we take a little mini break and i, I will be right back yes. while i think while i do that all right, so Johnny is back now. Uh, while he was gone, I was trying to convince Simon to get a Pentax 6.7. Uh, <laughs> well, they, fo they focused the wrong way, so it ain't going to happen. <laughs> uh, 
But I got a message from Rob Jameson, uh, who apparently really enjoys the parts of the show where we make camera sounds. Well, uh, we, so he we, must have... No, 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 we don't make camera sounds. The cameras do. <laughs> cameras don't make camera sounds. People make camera sounds, Simon. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. This is, this, is getting, uh, this is getting deep. Uh, well, he must have loved your film loading special feature the other day. That, well, I'm glad somebody did because I, I did hear comments to the contrary on that one. But there you go. <laughs> so uh, Rob said to me, hey, Perry, on this week's show, can you compare the shutter of your 6x7 to something quieter, maybe like the M2 Simon shot last week? It's always cool and geeky when you guys do camera noises uh, <laughs> at the end of the show from Rob Jameson. Well, we're not doing it at the end of the show. We're doing it right in the middle. Uh, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to uh, play the sounds from our loudest SLRs uh, and then our quietest SLRs and then our loudest rangefinders and our quietest rangefinders and any other cameras that we want to just, you know, click on on air. Uh and compare them. So I'm going to get us started. Uh, I actually want to start with a comparison because I have two medium format SLRs that are crazy loud. This Pentax 6.7 and my Bronica S2. I don't actually know which one is louder. Uh, so we are going to find out right now because I've heard the Pentax 6.7 described as being akin to a Norse thunderclap uh, <laughs> when it's fired. So here we go. Here's the Pentax 6.7 at... One twenty-fifth of a second, uh, because I, I yeah, I, I, w- I was gonna say we should um, we should probably come up with a common shutter speed to use for these, assuming that our our shutters are accurate. You know, well, there's mirror slap too, so do it right. faster than one over one hundred. Yeah, uh, because slower than one over one hundred, the human oh, ear right. can perceive uh, both curtains opening and closing. Right. I was I was okay. gonna do like an eighth of a second. Oh, you want to do slower shutter speed? Well, that's what I was thinking only because then you can hear that some of them have – the reason I was going to suggest that is some of these cameras have a distinct uh, sound of the shutter itself. Yeah, while, yeah. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like an M, like even like an like a M camera makes that zip sound, right, while it's shutter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Eighth of a second. That sounds right. good. Eighth of a second. And oh, oh, I was supposed to say – sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yet again, disclaimer that um, – that, Part of Simon's magic that he does every week with this podcast is he runs a little a little uh, program called Levelator that um, basically brings my loudmouth down to the sound of a normal human and you know makes everybody sound about the same. So that may or may not adjust the you know uh, uh, have an effect on the relative volume of these. Uh, sounds. So if we're saying one is louder than the other, or quieter, it's like you'll probably have to maybe somewhat take our word for that if it seems like it's not super quiet so yeah i'm i'm yeah. thinking it's not going to make any difference but yeah it's it's worth just mentioning that all right so uh here is my pentax 67 first and that's going to be followed by the uh bronica so this is one eighth of a second here we go i think that's it that wasn't too bad not no, too bad. No, fine. Wait, I'm just going to try it. It does depend on whether the camera was in this room or not, though, I suppose. 
Uh, yeah, that's true. That's how, true. How close are you holding that? Yeah, just for consistency now. How close are you holding the camera to your microphone? Uh, pretty close to it. Pretty much right up to it. So we're all going to point our lens like right at the the mic, essentially, right? That's what yes. I do. Okay. All right. Okay. So lens point lens pointed forward towards the microphone. So, but just just to clarify, so you don't want me to use a, a four hundred millimeter lens? No, that would be cheating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait. I, I just want to try that again um, because I think my bad. I, I'm using a dead things, roll. I was going to say things just sound so simple, don't they? And then you do it. And you're <laughs> yeah, like, well, exactly. what if? Uh, what but, if? What if? No, it's because I, I'm using a dead roll of film, um, like a, a spool with just backing paper. And um, when you try to force thing, this thing to fire, uh, it does weird stuff sometimes. So I'm going to try that again at a faster shutter speed because okay. I don't think the mirror went down properly. Okay. Okay, here we go. There you go. Oh, yeah. That yeah, was definitely loud. Yeah. That was bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think the battery might be dead as well. Because it was just the one I got in there. So here's the Bronica, uh, and let's see which one's louder. <laughs> Did you just catch a rat then? Wow. <laughs> so, folks, if the Levelator program didn't even that out and they sounded the same to you, that's definitely fake news because that. <laughs> that Veronica has too. I'm I'm a bit concerned now that you know, just bef before you did that, then you you made like a clicking noise, and people who are listening to this on headphones or in the car might have just turned the volume up just before you did that. <laughs> oh, that clicking noise was me cocking the shutter. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the giant slash. Okay, so the Veronica's louder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to struggle to beat that. All right, over to you guys for loudest SLR. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't have anything that comes anywhere close to that. So uh, it's so, not a competition. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't have anything that comes anywhere close to that loudness wise. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've got my my loudest one, but again, it's it's just not in that league. Um, so I'm going to do my Hasselblad now. Um, which there's two ways of listening to this as well, actually. Which uh, so, um, but I'm I'm going to do it the eighth of a second, and so let's wind it on. Okay, that's the winding sound, and uh, here we go. It's really close to the microphone now. Yeah, oh, that sounds pretty nice. It is. It's lovely, actually. Um, but there's there's two things going on there. Uh, you've got the the mirror getting out. Of the, well, there's three three sounds. Uh, because it uses a leaf shutter, um, it's got to get the mirror out of the way. And there are these, uh, I'm going to call them baffles, at the back of the camera as well that open and shut. So um, I can, that's one of the things about Hasselblad, you can, you can mess about with that a little bit. I'm just going to wind it back on again. And I'm going to, you can actually bring the mirror up first before you actually take the shot. Um, which is a technique that some people uh, used to use with and probably still do to take candid photos if you've got a, a model that's um, struggling with the smile or the certain kind of look and then they just tip for, for whatever reason they they relax immediately after they hear the click well some people actually use that as a method to actually capture them so they lift the uh, the mirror up first so that's this sound so that's the mirror is now out of the way but the shutter hasn't been fired yet and i'm yeah. going to just get the mm -hmm. the shutter to go now that's the shutter. 
So, uh, and then I just released it again, which was, I thought, do that again slowly. So, mirror up. That's the shutter. Mm. And then as I release everything, it drops the baffle at the back. Yeah. So, right. so I'll just do it again all together now. So there's actually three noises that are being, yeah. being played there. So, yeah. uh, but uh, none of which was as anywhere near as loud and uh, is, is what you just played there. But it's, it's a nice sound. Yeah. Now I, I don't have, well, sorry, Simon, you have a quietest still yet, don't you? Uh, do, do your loudest, and then we'll go to quietest. SLR. Well, okay, I don't have, um, I don't know that, because I don't have a uh, medium format SLR, which, I mean, you got to say, a medium format SLR is going to be one of the noisiest cameras, because it's just got that big yeah. mirror. Yeah. I mean, right? certainly you've got to throw a Pent yeah. Pentacon 6 in there or something, or right. yeah, 6C yeah. or something. That, that's going to make a racket. So I, I don't know that all of my SLRs are 35 millimeters. So I don't have – I don't know that I have a um, – they're all kind of just loud. Uh, I had definitely have a quietest, but I have – I have. Um, let's call it a – well, this is the ugliest – SLR I own, <laughs> so you'll have to you know visualize the look of the camera. Um, but this is the sound of the ugliest SLR I own, and I'll tell you what this is in just a moment. So let me let me wind it and fire it together. So that is the Argus CR1, which gets my vote for ugliest SLR of all time. It just sounds like a pretty much an average SLR. It's it's not anything unusual. But now I'm gonna play. Um, something a little bit different i i so my quietest slr made me think that hey maybe i should go get this camera out because it's basically a very similar camera and maybe it's also really quiet so i thought because i couldn't remember so i thought all right i'll go get this camera first um so this camera which i'm gonna play it play next is a uh context d which is the Ooh. yeah which is a very very old contacts uh SLR, uh, no auto mirror return. I think this is this camera is like what 1950 ish. Um, so I'm gonna wind it. Wait, so is this your quietest SLR? No, this is definitely not my quietest SLR. But I, my thought was that uh, it could possibly be as quiet as my quietest SLR, but mm. that's absolutely not the case. And I don't know if the shutter speeds work actually or not. Um, so I'm just going to shoot it, I guess, at a 60th of a second. So here we go. And let me Ooh, wind that, It's a weird little sound at the end. Now, that, that, that last uh, zip sound is me releasing the shutter button that's kind of stuck in. Because um, I have a feeling it didn't sound like this originally. This camera is in pretty rough shape. I, I basically bought it because it had a... Uh, a lens attached to it but the shutter curtains are crispy there is no other way to describe them they are literally they look crispy so this camera is not uh, in any way um i would say in shooting order uh but i wanted to put that lens on it or put the uh put that on so you could hear it just to hear what one of the earliest slrs sounds like now here is I would, I'm going to say my quietest SLR, which is very similar in terms of design to the contacts. It has a um, front button shutter release, um, and it just it it you can tell they share a common DNA. So this is the Petri Penta of I think 1960. So 
I'm going to fire this off. So I don't know if that sounded oh, yeah. quieter, but let me, I'll wind it and fire it. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. So I've confirmed it is definitely quieter than my Olympus OM-1, which I would have said is my quietest SLR, but that Petri, ha Petri has it beat. Yeah. That was so when, yeah. when it I, came... I was just going to say, yeah. is, it, is it still working after you're pressing that shutter button? <laughs> Oddly enough, it is. I've, I've run two rolls of film through it, and it works. <laughs> well done. Yeah. I thought um, I thought that my quietest SLR was going to be the OM1 as well, uh, but when I compared them side by side, I was really surprised at which one was quietest. So I'm going to play that. Uh, this is my quietest SLR. I had to dig really, really deep through the recesses of my camera collection to find <laughs> this. By the way, and there's been some speculation in our Facebook group after I posted a picture of the horizon of like what my apartment looks like. <laughs> And uh, just to clarify, my apartment is very, very small, but there are a lot of cameras in it. So uh, this is uh, this is an Alpha 10D. Ah, I'm really surprised was the quietest. Here we go. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. it? It was middling, you know. Yeah, it, I mean, it's not quiet. It's an SLR. Um, but it's quieter than my OM1, which which I wouldn't have guessed at all. Yeah, that's well, it's got the quietness of a fine Swiss watch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it feels really nice to use as well. It took me it took me about a minute to find the shutter button because I haven't used it in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I I feel the 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 need to to share uh, because I just realized I have, I do actually have something relatively noisy. Um, and I, I just need to, and it doesn't, it's not a rangefinder, it's not an SLR, it's sort of, it doesn't really fit into any of those things. It's not even scale focus, uh, but I think as I, as I do the shutter here, I, I think Perry will know exactly what this is. So, uh, and I've, I'm, I'm doing it on a slow speed. Uh, oh, I, I know what it is. Here we go. <laughs> There you go. Uh, wait, the horizon. Wait, what was that? The Horizon 202. <laughs> that sounds like one of those wind-up kids' toys, like a little mechanical robot. Yeah. Actually, I think yeah. I, I just realized we have actually done that before, haven't we? But even so, yeah. it's, it, it was worth an encore. Can I just say the Wide Lux does not sound like that? <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> just for reference. <laughs> oh, man. Do you have a quietest SLR, Simon? Uh, I I do, um, and it's uh, and it's again it's a it's a it's a rerun of uh, a, a camera that I've played before, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it on the, and it's motorized, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on burst mode, um, so we'll take a take a few shots. Let's let's go with this now. Assuming I've got it set up correctly, let's let's try. <laughs> oh, is that the contacts RTS? Um, not RTS, but it's the uh, RX. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's like it sounds like pew 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 yeah, pew exactly. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Uh, uh, I should go get my robot uh, camera and wind that sucker up and fire off eight frames real quick. <laughs> Same kind of thing. It makes that sound. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hold on. I'll be right back. I'll go get it. Well, of course, it's got that. 
that large dial on the top that you you wind it up with uh that's spring loaded so it doesn't actually yeah. it, it fires the shutter which i assume also drives the spools to pull the film along i'm guessing i guess so one's mechanical and one's electronic though so i'd be surprised if they're that similar hmm. but that's that that rx i think is just just fantastic for for a a built-in winder uh as well i think that's just in fact we'll just quickly just do that with the as a as a single shot just to uh compare to everything else here we go oh just yeah i just left the uh left the lens cap on so that wasn't very clever of me when it's on automatic exposure there you go wow lovely all right well robot here comes the robot so this is a sound you may have heard had you been uh, being gunned down by a Luftwaffe ME-109 and the pilot was taking pictures of you as you were going down in flames. So let me just wind this sucker up. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, that, that clockwork uh, range, that clockwork works pretty good for... This was is it, like yeah. Was he was he doing somersaults at the same time then and landed back <laughs> on his feet? <laughs> Did they name the camera after the shutter sound? <laughs> they could have, couldn't they? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That yeah, that's super that cool. was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, so, there's music you could do to that. <laughs> <laughs> Get Skrillex to sample it for their next album. Yeah. So we decided not to do uh, leaf shutters in this sound off because you know they're silent and it's pointless well that's, that's um, not entirely true and and the Hasselblad don't forget was the actual shutter uh, on it was actually a leaf shutter there um, so you did actually get that and just very quickly I know you said we weren't going to do but I'm going to do it now um, because I've got my baby uh, Rolleiflex here my in excellent condition which is also for sale on my eBay page um, <laughs> Um, but it's worked. It's te it's tested and it, and oh, it's, it's lovely. Um, but here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that now. Oh, no, that didn't wind on. Oh, I've got to open the. That's it. It's got an interlock. You have to open up the uh, viewfinder at the top, or else it won't actually do anything. So here we go. There you go. That's oh nice. yeah! Wow, it's sweet. Quiet. One, once more. Yeah, that's right on the microphone as well. That's yeah. lovely. Lovely, so, lovely thing. Just for reference, I think we should include, um, you know, talking about the quietness of leaf shutter lenses, right? Okay. Uh, this is my smallest leaf shutter lens, which is a uh, Schneider Angulon 65mm 6.8, which I have bought to, uh, you know, as a build-out for a custom panorama camera. So here is the cocking and firing of this lens at a fifth of a second. That's yeah, that is nice and quiet. Yeah. Quiet little uh, And the really, I mean, that the sound of that is the, we should really, I should even say it's the lens. That is the synchro compor shutter because the lens is really making no sound whatsoever. Yeah. That's the synchro compor. So. Synchro compors are so nice and quiet. I didn't, yeah. I didn't even bother checking any of mine because I knew they were going to be really quiet. Right. right. Yeah. But my quietest, uh, my quietest leaf shutter is the Condax T, which I have in front of me right now. Um, yeah, don't bother with that that Kendall Jenner nonsense. This one's the real deal. So here it is, leaf shutter. There you go. Yeah, yeah. 
So, loudest rangefinder. Johnny, we have to do a direct oh, wait, wait, comparison wait, wait, wait. here. Hold on. Okay. Because we have two different versions of uh, the Texas Leica. Actually, oh, can, yeah. can, we, can we just rewind a little bit? Uh, because Ooh, I, yeah. think, I think it's just worth uh, letting our listeners know to something that happened earlier uh, when we were just talking about this, uh, this segment, which, believe it or not, was actually planned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Um, and and five minutes before we go we're going on air, uh, Perry says, "So have you got your cameras for the uh, for the shutter test?" And the light going, "Hey, oh yeah." And so <laughs> yeah. so there's this mad scramble trying to find cameras, and I, I immediately <laughs> went for well, what's going to be quiet, and I've got a I've got an Olympus XA, and oh, yeah. uh, and I, I I tried my Olympus XA, and I was actually quite surprised at the, at the noise level on it, and I I think and anyway, so uh, I said to Perry about that, and uh, Perry was doing pretty much the same thing. He was, he'd already got his XA or was looking for his XA. And, um, and I was saying, this is actually louder than a camera I'm about to, to do. And uh, he says, really, really? And, uh, I'll just do mine. And, uh, and he, and he, and he, and he did, they did his and he goes, mine's, mine's like almost silent. <laughs> and, um, and then, and then I mentioned uh, that oh, I just mentioned the comment, say that uh, I'd been looking for some batteries. And then he then realized his didn't actually have any batteries in it. So the shutter didn't even fire. <laughs> it's not the first time that's happened to me. Yeah. yeah. But, do, do, do you have your XA in front of you? Uh, I've put it to Actually, no, I've, I've got it. Let's just, just grab it. Hold on. Yeah, because when I did fire it off, it's a lot louder than I thought. I thought the Contacts T and the XA would be pretty much the same, but... Man, the XA is way louder. All right, fire yours off. I'll fire mine off right after, and we can yeah. see if one of ours is screwed up. Yeah, so I was going to say, yours actually has batteries in it now, does it? By the way, I yeah. still can't quite work out about how yours was almost silent. Um, so you, you heard something with that battery, that, that, that thing that didn't fire. But here we go. Yeah. So they sounded pretty much the same. Yeah, I was actually quiet, and I remember. Oh, I'm wearing headphones. I can't hear the thing yep. properly. That's why. <laughs> There's so, yours. Here's mine. So, John, Johnny, you could you just heard both of them there. Does one of them sound louder than the other? Uh, they sounded about the same to me. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think that's, 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 that's what we wanted to hear, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm, we're gonna have biceps, like huge biceps after this, because uh, I'm holding my. I just put down my Olympus XA, the tiniest camera I have. Oh no, the context is smaller, but I now have the Texas Leica in my hand. Johnny, what shutter speed are we going to do this at? Uh, let's do uh, let's do an eighth of a second. All right, you can go first. You, oh, you want me to go first? Okay, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna wind, I'm gonna wind and fire. This is the Fujica GL six ninety. Uh, the one that Robbie has so kindly given to me. So here we go. Winding. Shutter release. Oh, that's not too bad. No, it's not bad at all. Okay, here's and, my... And, yeah. and if, I don't know if you heard that. At the end, I didn't release the shutter button right away because that last click, this is the shutter button. That's like the sound of just taking your finger off the shutter button. Um, which you could do very quietly if you wanted to. One one could do that if they so chose to do so. Yeah, that's a lot quieter than I expected. Yeah, it's it's really not a loud camera. Because here is the Fuji GW six ninety three. Wow, 
That is significantly louder. Yeah, it really is. It's it's not it's not too bad though. It's nothing it's nothing like that thing that you did right at the start, is it? Oh yeah, I mean it's still a rangefinder, so it doesn't have a six by nine mirror, um, yeah. unlike the 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 Bronica's mirror, which seems to I don't know what I don't know what that thing is made of, but it's crazy. <laughs> I know what it's made of, but I'm not allowed to say that word on the podcast. <laughs> uh, all right, the very last one: quietest rangefinder, actual rangefinder, not leaf shutter. Right. Who's gonna go first? Okay, I'll I'll go. All um, right, and uh, uh, yeah, and and the good bit about this is I get to wind it on because yep, I like to wind this camera on, as uh, keen listeners will know. Um, so this is a Leica M two. So, oh, that was nice. Actually, I'm gonna have to play the winding sound in a minute, <laughs> but uh, eighth of a second. Oh, I love that sound. I'm going to wind this yeah. on now. Beautiful. Uh, it's so, great. That's yeah. beautiful. That's the, reason I, the reason I wanted you to go first, Simon, too, was I specifically want to compare that against this, uh, which is a Leica M3 dual stroke early version. Uh, so it doesn't even have an eighth of a second. It has a fifth of a second. Yeah. So here's the winding sound. And now the shutter. Done. Yeah. I think that's for you to comment on there, Johnny. Well, they're they're very different, aren't they? Mm. I mean, mm -hmm. they're very different. I, I, I think the, M, the M2 has got a certain lyrical sweetness to it, however. Um, uh, that, that dual stroke sounded more like a, a Barnack-like to me. It did almost, didn't it? Well, it, it, it's a little, it's interesting because it makes that, that weird sound afterwards at the shutter speed slower than 10. Yeah. So at a 50th of a second, it sounds like this. Yeah. And that, that's kind of why I wanted to use the longer shutter speed because I really like that sound uh, of the slower speeds on the Leicas, the way they do that mm -hmm. little, that dying zip off thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's quiet nice. thing where they trail, where the, the, the spring trails off or whatever i really like that sound and a pro tip for anyone who's buying a leica uh you want that sound at one fifteenth of a second yes yes you do yes um, Johnny, do, you have, do you have a quietest rangefinder? you know i it's funny you say that perry because i don't have a leica of any variety um but i do have a lot of rangefinders, so i, I i'm gonna um do what I I guess would be, I don't know if it's the quietest, but I think all of them that I've kind of compared to each other are about the same. So this is a Canon uh, 4SB2. So the, the penultimate or ultimate or whatever version of the Canon Barnack style rangefinder that has been uh, CLA'd by a Yoshinyi. So this is in complete working order. Um, and the lens on the front is the uh, the Nikkor H uh, 50 f2. So Nikon lens, Canon body, super clean. Here we go. I'm going to wind it and fire it at a fifth of a second. Well, that's the winding. Not not a not a sound to be heard there. But here's the firing. Ooh, 
that's nice. It's really smooth. I'll wind it and fire it one more time. The winding, the winding you can't even hear. So, but I, I, I would say my Canon 4SB, that kind of that thump sound, it, to me is the most enjoyable like camera sound I, I think I've heard from any cam- I like I really love shooting it just to hear that sound See, I, it's I'm, very satisfying I, I'm not liking that thump it, no? to, to me it, it sounds like it's it's hitting the end of its travel a little bit harder than it should do let me do the let me do it from the side that uh, faces your face when you're taking the picture because this is really more what it sounds like when you're shooting it so I'm going to wind it on which again you really can't hear anything and then I'm going to fire it hmm I like that. Yeah, I I think that thump is just the shutter like really closing as it should. <laughs> so, but I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's wrong at all, and it's and, yeah. and you clearly like it. But I I'm not a fan. Controversial, I know. <laughs> I'll do it with the. How about this, Simon? Just for you. Here is with the lens removed, with the shutter <laughs> facing the open hole of the camera, <laughs> Eat, eating right the up. mic. Yeah, eating the mic. This is just for Simon. Oh. <laughs> to to be fair, right? Simon's favorite shutter sounds that we've heard so far are the electronic contacts. Uh, and right. for the for the record, we know he didn't like the sound of the Hasselblad. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, say sorry, that. not not your Hasselblad. My X Pan. Oh right, yeah, yeah. So different tastes. To each their own. <laughs> well, all I have to say to that, Simon, is this. <laughs> uh, it's Oatcakes versus Jepsen's Malort. There you go. There you go. Well, oh, it, it doesn't that lead us right into the emails, Perry? It's almost as if you planned that transition. I did not. But so, so to wrap this up, the winner is this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. So, so, loud, if you want loud, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's for shooting in the library. Yeah. 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 Spy camera. Yeah. Undercover. All right. I'm going to, uh, I need to uh, get a liquid refreshment to do all this reading that we're Wait, about. Wait, are we going to do emails or are we going to do Simon? Oh, I don't know. Well, what are we gonna do? I'm I'm beginning to think that we've we've spent so long doing <laughs> camera sounds, which I, I, I have to say, I I thought that was like ten minutes. Um, <laughs> um, the bit the bit I wanted to talk about is 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 pretty chunky. Um, so I I'm thinking, you know, we've actually got some good emails as well to to, to come. So I I, I want to do the give justice to the emails um, and give them yeah. give them enough time. Sure. So um, yeah. okay. we'll probably park mine for for another day. Oh, you sure? Yeah. Oh, we have time. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I I do have some time constraints as well. So uh, they, okay. they, those two things combined. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. Um, I, I, okay, so I'm going to get a liquid and I'll be right back and then we'll do some email reading, yeah? Okay. Deal? Okay. So, so Johnny's off to get some Jepson's Malort. <laughs> oh, I'm back again. Like that? Or do it again? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's 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 quite remarkable just how seamlessly we, we put this podcast together. People have no idea where we where we put uh, these breaks. Oh no, no, there's no breaks at all. 
And I'm back. Hey, uh, seamlessly back again with my my uh, my drink. Um, I, w- I would call this drink that I have right here that I've made. This is uh, Sisson's finest ginger juice, not to be confused with Jepson's finest Malort, which our first email <laughs> is gonna is gonna deal with uh, at length. Um, so email number one coming from John B. Uh, and John B. is writing us on. Uh, the subject of Zen and the art of holding it infection free. Now, could I? I I think it, this might be a good idea. Just put a little disclaimer uh, in in front of this uh, in front of this email that um, it uh, pushes the boundaries a little bit, um, as we did actually on the show. So it's actually no worse than what Johnny actually came out with on on the uh, on the show. But I just thought uh, we'll just put that in there. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, we're talking about potential war crimes in this email, so well, yeah, I'm not, yeah, very, not very sure true. if that's true. But we'll we're, we'll find out. Yeah. Let's read it and we'll see if, what, what, what the consensus is here. Um, so John B. says, guys, uh, I'm not really sure what y'all were drinking on this podcast, but damn, send me a bottle. Uh, this episode is going to be legendary. Haven't laughed this hard in months. A few questions. Number one, Johnny, do you have a significant other? Because if you don't, I kind of wonder if the whole urinary tract infection discussion might impact your chances on the Chicago dating scene. Thoughts? Number two, why a cup? Jesus, man. Gatorade bottle. That's what everyone deployed in Afghanistan does. I actually had five or six saved up that I wanted to drop out of a, a Chinook helicopter onto a village that kept shooting at us. Unfortunately, some officer got wind of my plan and nixed it, citing the whole hearts and minds thing. Besides, I was a civilian photojournalist and apparently dropping Gatorade pee bombs while not in uniform is a war crime. Who knew? Uh, number three, it might be entertaining to hear exactly how you guys learned what a nasty prostitute tastes like, uh, though this may impact any family friendly rating y'all might inspire to a la Sharky James. Thanks for the laughs tonight, guys. Much appreciated. If you ever get lost and find yourselves in Oregon, look me up. Uh, I have a, a, I have an epic distillery here that makes the whiskey that has fueled my last six books. Drinks on me, BYOB Gatorade bottles. Regards, John R. Bruning. Brunning? Bruning. The guy who posts all the cat pics. I think we need some context on that nasty prostitute thing, right? For anyone who missed that episode. So... I was not, just not, not, quoting, too, not, I was, not too much context, but a little certainly. Yeah. I was quoting it. It should it should be remembered. I was quoting someone else who had described it to me as that yeah. that would be the flavor. So, um, <laughs> actually, I think the exact quote was um, that the name Malort would be the name of the nasty prostitute. Malort would be like the name, the name, uh, and I think that then then there was some discussion about that's probably what it would taste like as well. So, uh, speaking of war crimes, by the way, um, <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I would use that segue. Uh, but this whole discussion of Jepson's Malort, uh, someone I don't remember who revealed that it was Swedish in origin. Yeah. And that explains a lot to me because the Swedish have some disgusting things that they put in their mouths. Uh, well, like rotten fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
a couple of months ago, uh, my Swedish friend, well, had the had the I don't I don't know how to describe this. He he brought a gift uh, for a couple of us to try, and that gift was the Swedish delicacy of surströming, uh, which is there are there are videos on YouTube of people opening the cans and just throwing up on the spot. It's not really uh, a, it's not really a gift, is it? When somebody gives you that, <laughs> no. there, there there's a video that I love of some Swedish woman enjoying surströming with her potatoes, and her pug walks up to the table and wants wants a little bit of it. So she she gives a bit of the surströming to her pug, and the pug sniffs it backs off two steps and just throws up. I'll dig that up and send it, but it's glorious. But so surströming is a, a sort of rotten fermented fish in a can um, that the Vikings used to make because they needed food to get them through the winters out of sheer desperation. Uh, and, and for some reason they still make it today, even though we have modern food and technology. So my, my Swedish friend, Carl, he, he brings this can and a couple of us, we decided to go out to uh, basically a reservoir in a national park as far away from civilization as possible uh, to try this stuff. And we opened it underneath, un- underwater in a bucket. <laughs> and I, I was designated the job of opening this stuff. Uh, and I was wearing gloves, but after I opened it, my hands still all the, the smell just seeped through. And the only way I can describe this is like it—it it smells like a war crime. Um, <laughs> it's like rotten sewage with a huge dose of of fishiness, and oh, it's disgusting. I don't understand why this is a thing. No. there's the Japanese version of this, right? That I've heard different names for it, but I'm looking at the one here that's Funazushi. How do you spell that? F-U-N-A-Z-U-S-H-I. I mean, fun, it's right there in the name. Uh Oh, 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 no, no, no. I had this stuff. It's like like a stinky fermented sushi. I don't mind that. I quite like it, actually. Okay, so this is nothing as bad as this Swedish thing. No, no, Funazushi is, I, I quite like it. I even like pickled herring, which is a Scandinavian oh, thing. Oh, pickled herring's not bad. That's doable. Surströming is nasty. Look, when I opened the can, right, instantly, within five seconds, there were flies swarming around me. <laughs> if you, I, it sounds like a joke thing that, like, did you just say probably in the middle, like, when an unending interminable winter, the Swedes would do to each other as a joke, is they'd pull this out and see who would get, who would, like, upchuck the first or something? You would think so, right? But apparently yeah. it's totally a thing, and there are people who enjoy eating it. Holy shit. And uh, uh, it, it, it's, it smells and tastes like sewage. There's no other description of it. Um, and if you go on YouTube and or just Google it, ninety percent of the results are people just puking <laughs> <laughs> without so, even tasting it. I was going to say in in this this, this discussion, which led to another discussion, um, Mike Novak um, was talking about another product um, that it's it's milder than that. Can you, can you remember? What oh, Ludfisk. Oh, Ludfisk. Yeah, that, that that's it. Yeah, and he, yeah. And he told yeah. a story about. How um, his fiance's father um, puts some in front of him, and with a view that you've got to eat that if you want to if you want to marry my daughter, kind of uh, kind of story. 
and yeah. uh, which he, he he managed to do um and uh, and he's and and he's he lived happily ever after uh, with his fiance to this day um, who's now his wife but yeah. um, he asked he asked his wife uh, after the event have you have you have you ever eaten that as well she goes no <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's not it, – the lutefisk is not uncommon in the Midwest. I mean, that, yeah, and it's that, just fishy. Yeah, that's fairly commonly found in like any – if you go to any like, you know, ethnic deli kind of thing in the Midwest, you'll find lutefisk. It's not – it's really not that uncommon. I think that stuff is fine. It's just – it's a strong fishy smell. It's not, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's a little bit different than than this stuff. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia entry for, for this uh, – how, how do you say it? So apparently? strumming. Sister Ming, okay. Yeah, it's I'm a chemical the, weapon. Yeah, I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry, and I'll just read this this little bit under the heading of international opinion. The first two explain how um, that it it basically got a it was granted an exception from a ban because of the amount of dioxins and PCBs that it it is uh, contains. Uh, this ban was granted by the EU, I guess, proving that the EU is in fact evil. Uh, so there's that. And the next one says that it's banned on several different airlines <laughs> because claiming that pressurized cans of fish are potentially explosive. Um, but here's the best one under the heading of, of German eviction. In 1981, a German landlord evicted a tenant without notice after that tenant spread Surstroming brine in the apartment building stairwell. When the landlord was taken to court, the court ruled that the termination was justified. When the landlord's part party demonstrated their case by opening a can <laughs> inside the courtroom, the court concluded that quote that it had wait quote had convinced itself that the disgusting smell of the fish brine far exceeded the degree that tenant that fellow tenants in the building could be expected to tolerate unquote. Okay. So. Yes, it can so bad it can get you evicted. There is uh, there's, there's there's also a, a, a thread that John started uh, in the podcast podcast uh, Facebook group as well. So uh, that's 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 worth heading over that way and having having a having a read of that as well. All right, very good. And I will put the official link uh, apparently in Swedish for searchstreaming it must this must must be the searchstreaming manufacturers collective in sweden they have their own web page so uh it's probably extolling the virtues here in swedish of where's per we need peron to to read all this for us but oh, yeah. maybe i'll do google translate real quick and you know that would probably be very entertaining we need to ask him if he's had it as well yeah, it, it, this obviously is extolling the whole history of this product. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, this looks to me suspiciously like the Jepson's Jepson's Malort homepage, which also <laughs> extols the virtues of Je Jepson's Malort. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, and I was, just, I was just going to say, just just bringing the um, this this particular email to the end. At the end of it, there's a link. Uh, that we will share in our notes as well to the books that uh, that John has written as well. Oh, he has. Oh, excellent. Okay. All right. Very good. Yeah. And I, I would say just, you know, maybe perhaps, uh, well, first of all, Gatorade bottle, the nomen the correct nomenclature for a Gatorade bottle full of urine is, of course, a trucker torpedo, um, just so we know. Just so we have that trucker torpedo in the podcast as well. So now I can use the hashtag trucker torpedo in the podcast notes. So, and I would just say I don't, I don't 
use Gatorade bottles because I don't drink Gatorade because it's just a bunch of corn syrup. Um, although I do occasionally drink it when it's like you're on that bike ride in the middle of the city and it's like a hundred degrees and humid in Chicago in the summer, I will stop and get a Gatorade because yeah, it's really good. But, um, I don't make a habit of drinking Gatorade. So I didn't have a Gatorade bottle here on hand to use to make a trucker torpedo. And I do think that probably, um, if you're going to invade another country and they're shooting at you in helicopters, you know, they probably, it's their country, you probably shouldn't invade them. And dropping trucker torpedoes on them is probably not going to make matters better. That's just, that's just a thought. Just a thought. Um, okay, so moving on to uh, Ian Turpin. Wait, before you move on. Yeah. So, so Sweden. <laughs> the, con- the country that brought you Hasselblad and Sersterby. Whole spectrum. And Jefferson's Malort. And Zlatan Ibrahimovic, has there ever been a country that has played both sides of the spectrum so, so fine? So now what I want to know is if we mixed all of these things together. What? Just I, just Ming and, and, uh, and Jeff's Lord. Lord, right? Yeah. Like, exactly. Pour, exactly. Pour it in a Hasselblad. And pour it in a used Gatorade bottle that had pee in it. That it would taste be- better. <laughs> All right, Simon. We've lost Simon. Simon yeah. shall, shall, shall we move on to the question? <laughs> by, uh, Ian Turpin, please. Yeah. All right, okay. Ian Turpin, subject question. Uh, hi, folks. Was listening to episode eighty-five today. Whilst I was out enjoying the last not, of the summer, not sun. whilst, not whilst. It's whilst. Whilst. <laughs> Whilst? It's not whilst? No, like it's not. It's no, no, I've, I've, come, I've, I've come across this problem before with you, with, with people across the pond. Um, it is a word that we use over here. Um, you, you might use while. Um, and we use while, but whilst is, uh, is just better, obviously. So please continue. <laughs> okay. Uh, was listening to episode 85 today during that thing Simon just said, well, out while I was out enjoying the last of the summer sun, after hearing your episode, after hearing you talking about lens problems, it got me thinking, is there a quote-unquote safe way to store lenses that you aren't going to use for a while? I've heard people say that fungus is caused by sunlight. No, wait. Ca- yes, caused by sunlight. And others say it's cured by sunlight. sunlight. Some people store their lenses in special cabinets. Others store them in cupboards, leaving them in full sun once every so often for that reason. Others store their lenses with desiccant backs. And some people acclimatize. Did I say that right, Simon? Their lenses before taking them out. Uh, is there just, just on any... That. Is any of this... Wait. Is any of this important... <laughs> Or are there a few good "quote unquote" behaviors for storing with that's behaviors with a extra U behaviors for storing lenses? Still enjoying the show. Thanks for keeping me entertained, Ian. Uh, wow, there's, there's a lot here, right? <laughs> I, I was going to say since I've I just I just did the um, uh, it's interesting. He's written acclimatize with it with a Z. So um, I'm, I'm I'm now thinking perhaps in 
is actually from across the pond, or he's done it for your benefit. I'm not entirely sure. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think Ian's messing with somebody. He, but he's messing with all of us now. Um, <laughs> and uh, but the, interesting enough, uh, on two podcasts recently, and uh, the most recent one was negative positives um, with. Uh, or oh, was it Sally oh, Sally Gunderson? Uh, Gunderson was a, a surname anyway. But um, she used the word uh, acclimate, and I've and I've heard this acclimate used uh, word used a couple of times. I've never heard it before until like this week, and 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 this and it's to do with um, the same way as acclimatizer has been used here. But I've never heard of acclimate before. I'm thinking, don't you Accl- yeah, acclimate. Yeah, I, I, I say I've never heard that before. It's it's just acclimatize. It's but, like yeah. acclimatize, but it's your it's your friend acclimate. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it just sound like a brand. <laughs> just when you when you say it anyway. But uh, well, there you go. That's that's that that's that's uh, my my wisdom for today. So so we're actually going to answer his question, right? <laughs> no, we're I just think, I think you are, Perry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. So first of all, on fungus, fungus is a kind of mold, right? So it it thrives in the same conditions that mold thrives in. Uh, so we're talking about wet, hot, humid conditions uh, near a surströming can, um, or a prostitute, or yep, yeah, or Jepson's Malort. Uh, but the reason sunlight, it, people say sunlight cures uh, fungus, is when you leave it in the sun, it, and it has to be dry as well. Yeah, uh, the UV light is going to kill the fungus. Right. So in in the same way that you know, dry, hot environments aren't going to lead to as much mold as a wet, hot environment. Um, it, I mean, the way my, my, my take on fungus is, is humidity is worse than just heat. Yeah. Cause that's what mold likes to eat. Yeah. All right. So I, I store mine, um, my sort of expensive stuff. I store in a dry cabinet, uh, in a humidity controlled cabinet. Um, but I don't turn it, to the driest setting because that can have uh, issues with camera lubrication and certain things like, I don't know, like a M3 Vulcanite. Uh, but everything else I just leave on a shelf in a, and, and then if it gets really humid, I just turn on a dehumidifier. Yeah. I mean, for, for me in the UK, I, it, everything goes into a cupboard, so it's not, it's not bright, uh, but, yeah, the, the house the humidity is not too much of a problem um, over here in the UK, and uh, I, my cupboard, I just have uh, plenty of bags of um, silica gel uh, desiccant just in there, uh, which I just do that because I think, well, I've got some, I might as well stick it in. You know, that's as that's as um, as much effort as I actually put in, and. I've not had a problem with fungus, so that works for me. But yeah, if you're out somewhere and it's it's you know in Florida or uh, in yeah. the tropics and places like that where you've got humidity issues, then yeah, that then you really do have to work at it. Fungus is a big problem here in Hong Kong because it's hot and it's humid um, and it's dense. So I don't think it'd be as much of an issue in the UK for sure. No. Yeah, and it, but the whole yeah, I was gonna say it's fairly uncommon. At least where, at least in Chicago, it, it is. I mean, I most of the lenses that I see with fungus in Chicago have been quite obviously like basement stored or 
Yeah, like, I, I, you know I, what I mean, yeah, right? I, I just want to, want to say there because when when Perry just said like you know in the UK it's probably not a problem. That's not to say we don't get fungus and we don't get fungus bad. Um, and it's just simply that the lenses have just been put in a really stupid place. Like yeah, the, yeah, we shared a garage basement. So, yeah, we're in damp places. Uh -huh. So yeah, we we can have just we can have a, a lens that you can't see through um, simply because it's just been put in a bad place. Yeah. When we have Graham on the show, we have to tell him not to leave his lenses in his greenhouses. Yeah, yeah, there's potting go. shed, the worst possible place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but on this on this issue of acclimatizing, I think what he's referring to is uh, letting lenses come to temperature. If you're moving from like an air conditioned building into a hot outdoor area, because that's less of an issue of fungus and just more of condensation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but can't, that, that, that's one of the issues, isn't it? Because you can potentially be introducing the uh, the moisture by <laughs> by that action, and then if you aren't if you aren't careful, if you then effectively like seal um, your uh, equipment after it's after it's got that condensation in it, you think that everything's everything's fine, but yeah. you actually sealed some moisture in it, and then you're really asking for trouble. And if you have old vintage cameras that came with all of their original stuff. Do not store them in the leather cases. Oh, leather cases are horrible. The leather cases are fungus breeding grounds, yeah. uh, especially for old TLRs and stuff. Just take them out, throw those cases in in storage somewhere, and don't let them anywhere near your camera. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to dissent on that one because, I mean, I've got my Roly TLR, which um, I'm not talking about the baby uh, Roly Flex now, but a Roly Cord TLR, which I've had for 30 years, and I... I've used it twice in 30 years and it's been in its leather case in in well, that time but, but you're, you're not in a fungus area right and you're and you're storing it yeah but like that's, yeah but that's that's the point well, well i haven't been storing it as as well as i store my lenses now i've just had them in it's just been in the house somewhere um yeah. and in a box where, where wherever but the point is the case in itself is not going to be the source of the fungus it's going to be the fungus in the air and perhaps being in the case it might restrict the airflow around it and that could cause problems or something like that maybe well no because if you have uh fungal spores and they're everywhere they're they're all over the place yeah. right so if you're storing lenses in an area where there's likely to be fungus the case will make the problem worse right. because it's made of a, a you know biological material right which fungus loves and thrives on yeah so if you're so in other words, if you're in if your environment was particularly prone to begin with for fungus, it would be like really asking for trouble to store it yes. in the case, I think. And that and see that's been my experience. Again, the only time I really see, you know, stuff that is fungused up here in Chicago is things that have been stored for a long time poorly. And probably in a case like those are that yeah. would be like the trifecta of how you're going to get fungus on an old, you know, like a lens or something. Yeah, yeah. I just I just don't want people going out there and burning the cases now for no good reason. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But right. I mean, they, they effectively they effectively act like a petri dish. So if your petri dish is clean yeah. in the first place, then you're fine, right? There but once go. there's bacteria, that's the environment where it's going to thrive, and right, that's mm. yeah, that's what fungus does. Plus, the good stuff can smell like crap. Well, especially if it's one of the, the, the Soviet the Soviet leather cases. Yeah. Oh my word, they can it's not yeah. about a but my word they can really smell a house out. Or or if it came from a really good friend in Belgium <laughs> who smokes a lot of hashish. 
Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> we learned more about that story this week. Uh, okay. Uh, so we've done John. We've done Ian, who is also John, you could say. Uh, let's move on to Andrew Bartram, uh, whose subject is waste level finders. Uh, Wait, did and- we skip John Vandenberg? Oh, did we? No, we did Ian. We did John. Did I miss one? There's two Johns. Oh, I, I got. I have John Vandenberg after Andrew Bartram. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, okay, Andrew Bartram, subject, Wasteable Finders. Hello, gents. Can I say how much I enjoy listening to you all, even though I don't drive a steam train? Dude! <laughs> 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 Uh, I can't say I share your obsession with Oomfa. I think he meant <laughs> Uta. He put Oomfa. Oomfa, 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 Oomfa. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm just wondering if he's been uh, listening with subtitles on YouTube. Maybe. Because Oomfa only comes from Photoshop by dwarves. Uh, so... <laughs> um, uh, obsession with will put Ufta Ufta with wide open lenses, but I have worryingly started shining flashlights through them to see if I can discern any milky or smoky haze. So far, my three RB lenses are fine. On the subject of the RB six seven, and in particular, waist level finders, Simon was paying was saying that. With his Hasi, he only sees the center of the frame and the magnifier. The RB magnifier is so big. You can pretty much see the whole frame. Uh, she is a bit big, but hey, as we large format photographers know, bigger is better. Your show is my favorite podcast to listen to. So keep on the excellent work. Uh, love your new boy too, Andrew. I guess that's I guess that's Perry. Yay. We love our new boy too, Andrew. Not in the way you think, you cheeky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> And and just just in case uh, uh, listeners aren't aware, and Andrew is my co-host on the large format photography podcast. So uh, nice of you to write in there. And actually, on the <laughs> subject, I think I'm just going to uh, just quick talk about coffee donations because Andrew donated to us as well. So thank thank <laughs> thank you, Andrew. That's, that's thank, really you, Andrew. Good um, thank you, Andrew. And we had, uh, and he also said, uh, have a have a brew each on me. So uh, thank you very yeah. much, there, Andrew. Um, and we also had donations also from Brian Woolworth and Mike Epstein. And that we mentioned earlier as well. So, uh, um, thank you for uh, for for those donations. If anybody wants to help us out, um, we're on coffee.com and I think it's forward slash Classic Lenses Podcast. But if you just do a search for Classic Lenses Podcast on coffee.com, that's ko-fi.com, uh, you can find our page. So, um, thank you very much for for there, and uh, and thank you for the email, Andrew. Yep, indeed. I, I you know, I got to kind of agree with Andrew. Um, because my Roloflexes are like this, the magnifier really more than more. I can see the entire viewfinder with with really not any difficulty. Um, yeah, so, it's the same on my Bronica and uh, my Mia, uh, the, whatever. What's the one I just got? Pentax six seven. Yeah, I can see the whole frame. Yeah, I've just I've just checked 
on the uh, the baby Roly Flax, which I'm selling um, on my eBay page at the moment. And, uh, and that's uh, wow. the marketing episode. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I can I can see the edges on that one as well. Uh, quite, okay. I think you can can do on the Hasselblad Finder, but it's a case of you've you've got to go looking for the edges rather than just seeing the edges straight straight in the in the that, shooting that's, position. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Are that's, you pressing your face right up to it? Pretty much so. Okay. Although I've not got it, I've got my prison finder on there at the moment, so I can't can't double check that as we speak. Place all finders are sweet. Yeah, just don't try to shoot vertically with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not just that it's awkward looking from the side, right? It's that everything is flipped, so up is down and left is right, and so you you just see the world upside down and back to front, and yeah. Uh, if only the world turned the right way, it wouldn't be a problem. Okay. Uh, John Vandenberg, next up. Uh, subject, I can't believe you guys don't... Wait. I can't believe you guys don't... An F factor. F is in quotes. Do you think he meant to say... I can't... Uh, there's a verb that's missing there. Yeah, there is. Okay. Anyway, moving right along to the email itself fog and fungus obviously need an f factor perhaps not in full stops but perhaps a slight adjustment in ei exposure index it would help i think if when you discuss adjusting exposure and maybe developing times if the lens in use may need an f factor adjustment because of slight to moderate lens fogging then the aesthetic qualities of the fog could be discussed. Hmm. I know what F factor I would use when an online retailer fa fails to mention the free soft focus ND filter. Uh, no and no to collectible useless lenses. I don't look at my current lenses often enough and they were really useless, I would never notice the further degradation of the lens, which could cause me to miss the advent of another problem such as mold. Such as mold. Um, if you must buy a compromised collectible, better to have it reground and recoded. Wow, just think beyond collectible repair on an estimate. Uh, I listen to your show occasionally, learning something. Uh, it is a bright light and daily drudgery that is my existence kidding aside thanks for the show <laughs> <laughs> you wow. read that so eloquently yeah it's, it's, it's almost like i read it um <laughs> I, I i don't i i do you think john i i don't know why i felt like that was almost written in english as a second language i maybe i was just i don't know was a hard one to read i'm sorry i was stuttering my way through it um okay so we've we've got um you know it well i think the the the, the i'm not sure exactly how serious this one is really but um I th let's let's try and be serious about it and right. if um if fog or fungus are going to be have the potential to alter the exposure that you might normally use uh, and let's say that we've we're talking about using this on the camera that doesn't have a light meter now, uh, because if you if your camera has a light meter built in, then it'll be shining through the lens, and it doesn't matter how bad it is, it's going to get a reading that's appropriate. Um, so, I guess that if if it's go if you got 
enough fungus or haze that it's actually going to affect your exposure. <laughs> I think that's the last of your worries. <laughs> I, yeah, I would think you would have a really serious problem if it was that, yeah, that bad. Yeah, and you wouldn't ever be able to find out if you don't, if, unless you use TTL metering and have a copy of the same lens that's nice, and then you're screwed up one, so you can compare if there's yeah. a difference. Yeah. That, yeah. Right. Maybe the F factor is just how loud you swear when you when you buy the lens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, he did sort of allude to that, right? Yeah. Uh, that F factor as well, so. Okay. Uh, right. Aesthetic qualities of the fog, no, screw that, just get a Leica fan bar. <laughs> so where where are we up to now? Have we have we done our all, all our emails now? Are we caught up? Uh, I feel like we are, but um, I'm just scrolling down to see uh, if there are any emails from previous episodes that we that we missed. But I think we're I think we're there, and just. More up, right? I was just, just going to say there, are, there have been a couple of emails that you're just looking at the emails I've sent across. We have had a, um, a few other bits of correspondence which I've been uh, chatting to people, um, such as Paul Friday and uh, Ian Fleming as well, which um, I've sort of kept those uh, as, as conversations. Uh, and uh, Laurie, Laurie Cannell, Connell, I think there's a correct way of saying it, but um, yeah, which have I've, I've I, I, we've not got to the point of reading them out because I think I've more or less chatted uh, those those uh, those emails through. So uh, I think we're just about done then. How many submissions do we have for free lens challenge? Oh, uh, well, I think we've only actually had one more since last week. So okay. we've we've got a substantial number from Paul Friday, um, and uh, I think we. Got about must be about thirty, thirty-five, something, something like that. Which we're going to have to put a little bit of thought into actually how we do this. Um, oh, you just send them all to Graham and make him do all the work. Well, well, that's the thing. Well, that's pretty much we do what we're doing because Graham's coming back. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so next next week uh, we we're going to do the the judging of the haiku competition, and we're going to we'll probably what I'm thinking is we might break the haikus up into sections and. Um, rather than just do do them all in one go i don't know we'll we'll work something out we'll put some thought into it two minutes before the show goes on air and uh and, and work something out so graham will be joining us next week so we're looking looking forward to having graham back um especially after the anarchy uh that was our show last time he was here <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah indeed um and so that's that's another point the show next week is likely to come out a day late um, for reasons that um, I'm not going to go into just now. Um, so, um, and uh, and that's, it's it's just that there's uh, something I might be up to on the day, which is going to interfere uh, with my uh, editing ability. So that will probably act, so that the show will probably go out the next day. Um, okay, so let's let's wind things down. Um, Perry, have you got any shout outs? Uh, nope, no shout outs from my end this week, uh, apart from just another one to Mike Epstein for both the donation and the photo walk. Excellent. And you, Johnny? Um, I don't think so. I'm reading the Google translated version of the, uh, uh, sun strumming page. 
from Swedish to English, and it is, in fact, worth a read. <laughs> it does sound pretty evil, that stuff. <laughs> it's it's great. I can't wait till people read this. Yeah. And uh, P- Perry, make, before you go to bed, which is getting quite late over there in, in Hong Kong, please make sure you, you share the link. Uh, for the uh, the pug smelling the uh, oh, the I've already sent it. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. I'm looking forward okay. to see, seeing that one. Okay, um, so Perry, outside of uh, this show, uh, how can people follow you in the with all the things that you do? Yeah, Instagram and Flickr. I am Perry G, uh, and website is PerryG.com. And Johnny, uh, you can follow me at um, Assistant Photography on Instagram. Um, and you can catch up with me at Central Camera Company in Chicago most days of the week. That's cool. And uh, what if people want to send an email to us? Um, you can send an email, and I will struggle my way through reading it here on the podcast uh, at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. Um, and you should also, of course, visit the podcast homepage at classiclensespodcast.com. And let's not forget about um, Instagram. Uh, visit Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. Uh, friend, enemy, frenemies of the show, of course, as you know. Um, thank you very much to Ricardo for his <laughs> attempted weekly roundup of the show. <laughs> did this past one, did he just post a blank? Don't no, he shared, he shared a link to an uh, Instagram post, I think. Okay, okay. I was confused. Um, that was good. Uh, so there's that. Uh, what am I forgetting, Simon? If, if people want to read uh, the, the the show as we as we speak. Oh right, yes, you can you can go to YouTube, which I'm thinking this week is going to be particularly enjoyable um, to follow along the uh, the old uh, classic lenses podcast there on YouTube. Uh, so check that out and I, I, I guess they will translate this whole thing on the fly for us so the attempt to anyway. something of the sort yes okay and uh, so finally um, you can follow me on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic I'm on Twitter as Simon 4 uh, I've got a shop on eBay uh, which I may have mentioned earlier. Really? Uh, really, yeah. Um, it's down as, uh, if you do a seller search on ebay.co.uk, it's it's Fozzy. That's I-T-S-F-O-Z-Z-Y. Not sure how easy it is to find me that way, but so the easiest way is just go to uh, one of the places where we have our links, which is uh, in the Classic Lenses podcast Facebook group. We also have a post in Photography with Classic Lenses. And, of course, if you go onto Podbean, uh, where our podcasters... Actually, no, you don't go there. You just go to Classic Lenses Podcast. That's it. Um, and you can find the, the, the show notes there and links. Um, anything else? Simon, you need a marketing haiku for each of the items you're selling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm going to struggle to come up with one right now. Um, but um, <laughs> so I just want to thank... Uh, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for our theme music, uh, which is Octo Blues. Um, I'm sure I've forgotten something there, but never mind. Um, so that's going to be it for this week. Next week we've got Graham on, and we're going to be doing those haiku competitions, and somebody will win uh, the Konica 40 uh, millimeter f 1.8 lens. So uh, there we 
remember only 24 haiku entries per perk. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, and it's closed now. We're not having it with, well, who knows? If you sneak another one in there, we might just add it to it. Um, yeah. So we will also talk about lenses and photography and stuff and not just read haikus for two hours. Correct, correct. <laughs> um, okay, so I hope you enjoyed uh, this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl. Oh, Urban Dictionary must have a great trucker torpedo entry. Let's just try that. Wow, trucker torpedo is not in Urban Dictionary. So guess what I'm doing today? <laughs> <laughs>